Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Make Your Own Damn Podcast. I am Lucas Mangum, and with me tonight, as always, is Jeff Burke. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good, good. Um, something's different this week, though. What could that be? Uh, we have we have a guest. We have we have a guest for the first time. You introduce introduce the guest. I like. Oh yeah, yeah. You're yeah. the connection with this guest. This is my first time meeting this person. So yeah. So Do an introduction. Have... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeff loves to keep me on my toes. Uh, so, so our guest is critic and filmmaker Scout Tafoya. Hello. Uh, Thank you for having me. Thank you for breaking the rules to let me on here to talk about trauma. Hells yeah. yeah. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. I've been really intrigued because I know right off the bat we have some pretty strong differing opinions on a few things. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a great way to start. <laughs> I'm coming know, out right? swinging. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no. Before we do that, uh, before we do that, uh, Scout, you should probably tell our, our listeners about yourself a little bit. Okay. All right. So I um, – I've been a semi-pro film critic for uh, almost a decade at this point. Um, started writing criticism in middle school, and I just kind of never lost uh, my love for it. And even though I started making uh, my own feature films in 2009, 2010, uh, just kind of kept at it and was fortunate enough to be asked to contribute to RogerEbert.com in 2013. And uh, part of the early going of that was uh, uh, creating The Unloved, which is my video essay series about uh, films that deserve a second look for this or that reason. Um, and uh, it's, it's actually um, right now, today is the 29th, tomorrow's the 30th, the 1st of December will be the eight year anniversary of The Unloved. Wow. Um, so Alien 3 was the first one, right? That's right. Alien 3 is the first one. And Hell uh, yeah, I think it's an incredibly underrated movie. I love Alien 3. Alien 3 is a terrific film. That's um, uh, my my friend Adam Naiman actually just wrote a great book about David Fincher called uh, um, Mind Games, and uh, he very very uh, politely <laughs> uh, quoted my essay on that, which is a, a thrill to read. Um, he's uh, it, just one of the great most thorough film critics we have. But anyway, so uh, yeah, so I've made at this point I believe that I believe I'm up to 29 ish 30 feature films. Um, and something like 350, 400 uh, video essays about Damn. all kinds of stuff. Uh, <laughs> a lot of it just sort of about trying to get people to sort of, you know, acquire eyes they might not usually use with which to view a lot of cinema and cinema history. Um, that's kind of the joy of it is not necessarily that's I forget who said this. It was. I don't know, Robin Wood or, or Jonathan Rosenbaum or somebody said that the, the least interesting thing that a film critic can give the public is their opinion. It's, it's the rest of it that's most important. And I've sort of tried to take that to heart. Um, and it's no, not about, I love that. Yeah, isn't that like just kind of beautiful and simple and, and pure? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 been a lot of like I've been I've been fortunate enough to review some really cool stuff. And like, I've you know, sort of sort of and again, every time I talk about myself in, in this kind of third person fashion, <laughs> whatever, it's it's tough to, to main any kind. Like, I understand that to, to a lot of people, nobody knows who the fuck I am and it doesn't matter. And it's never mattered like all the work that I do. But like, you know, it's also fun to think that I've become 
something of a minor figure in culture for standing up for like the films of Rob Zombie, for instance, yes. or, or, you know, oh. whatever, giving, <laughs> giving three from hell a four star review on RogerEbert.com, like that kind of I stuff. I love it. I love it. So much fun. I, I, I am in shock. Jeff is not a Rob Zombie. Yes. Fan, yes. Is, this is one of Lucas and I's big disagreements is we have very yeah. differing opinions on Rob Zombie. It's all about what you want from movies. That's all. That's all it is. <laughs> and I don't think what he has. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It takes all kinds. I wrote. I, uh, have, I, wrote, I have a bizarre nitpick about Lords of Salem. Which is? <laughs> so. This is incredibly weird, dude. And I still don't understand it. <laughs> I latched onto it, though, while watching the fucking movie. And I'm like, why is he doing this? So the band in the movie, Lords of Salem, that, you know, the title of the movie comes from is actually just called the Lords. However, the they're from see they're from Salem. So the DJs keep calling them, referring to them all the time as Lords of Salem. Nobody, no DJ would ever do that because that sounds like the name of the band. That's not the name of the band. Like, I mean, um, you're saying that, but these are like morning zoo crew cocaine at 6 a.m. type guys. But they, they still would be it. saying that. <laughs> and Rob Zombie's in the fucking music industry. What 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 was well, going on there? I don't you're know. Jeff's you're trying to Jeff explain a, a rock star. Like that's not that's that's not okay. He's just gonna do what he's got to do, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, so you, in your Unloved uh, – did I get that right? Unloved series? That's right. Yes, that's right. Yes. So in the Unloved series, which of your videos did you get like what, – what movie did you get like the most disagreement on or like the most pushback on? Oh, man. That's – that's tough. Uh, I, the, the, the funny thing to me about doing the Unloved for as long as I have is that the impulse that everybody still has like – you know, depending on how high profile the whatever gets – is people being like, no, actually, that movie is terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I made the essay, because you think that. That's the whole fucking point. Like, I didn't just, you know, it's not like we saw it yesterday for the first time. And I was like, actually, this is great. It's like, no, no, no. I'm aware of the reputation of the movie. That's the whole yeah. the whole reason that I'm doing the fucking thing. And it's, you know, so, like, I, there are still, I don't know. It's it, 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 It's been interesting to see the things that people, like, the, 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 I will say more commonly than getting pushback is getting people who like have been really waiting for somebody to come out of the woodwork to be like to give them basically to give them permission to say that something is mm. cool because I do mm. feel like there is you know this 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 unspoken and like obviously tyranny is like a too strong a word but that's the first one that comes to right. mind where with taste and stuff like that where it's like if it's not in the dominant cultural conversation and the word on the street is or whatever the fuck it can be a little difficult to say like oh i love this fucking west craven b-side instead of like scream or whatever you don't want to not be cool exactly you don't want to not be yeah. cool that's like even as an adult <laughs> it's a tough thing for people like people gave me shit about heaven's gate they still think that sucks like i mean i think the like I, when I did Anonymous by Roland Emmerich, I don't think anybody agrees with me on that. So that was like a little bit of a thing. Like, Jeff wait, loves Roland Emmerich. Yeah, I know. I'm, I legit think Roland Emmerich is a genius. And he's fucking fantastic. I, he's he's one of my absolute favorite filmmakers. And at the time of this recording, uh, in the past couple of weeks, his new trailer came out for what's it called? Yeah. Moonfall. Moonfall. Which, which Moonfall. The moon's going to crash into the earth. Plot yeah. twist, the moon is hollow. Yeah. I mean, like, what more could you... This is fucking my, cinematic my, my genius. Favorite, 
my favorite thing about him is that that interview you shared where he was just like, yes. well, I don't like so, people. And so, so, people give me a lot of money to kill all those people. people. Hell yeah. He's and then crazy. later in the same interview, it was asked in all of your movies, somebody saves a dog. Uh, what's that about? And he's just like, I like dogs. <laughs> what else and do I'm just like, I want to hang out and drink beer with him. Like, he seems like he's a blast. Yeah. No, so, wait, so what's this movie that you did an episode about that he made? Oh, Anonymous. You ever see Anonymous? No, no. That's I'm not familiar with that one at all. That's his best movie. What, what's oh. it about? It's about the... Uh, 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 the Oxford theory, which is that the 18th Earl of Oxford wrote Shakespeare's plays instead of William Shakespeare. Oh, holy uh, shit. Roland Emmerich did a movie about that? Yeah. And they buried well, it. Because, I, again, of course they did. I need, to, single, see, I need uh, to see this. this that sounds it's, great. It's so fucking good. Honestly, it's one of those things where it's like, you, you know, this is a guy who spends all of his time doing, like you're saying, movies about the, the world ending, you know, in this or that catastrophe. And so finally he had been doing it for, I mean, at this point, he, I think his first film was like 1984 or something like that, 1982. Um, so he'd been doing it for almost 30 years and then finally was like, you know what, I'm going to make something else. And he made Anonymous and it's amazing. It's fucking so good. And wow. nobody likes it. Nobody <laughs> liked it at all except me. I loved it the minute I saw it and I, my appreciation for it has only grown in the interim. Um I, it's just so fucking good. Um, everyone's in it. Every like incredible cast. Uh, uh, Reese Ifans is the hero. Vanessa Redgrave is in it. Her daughter Jolie Richardson plays her younger self. It's 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 so good. Um, uh, Edward Hogg is in it. He plays uh, his sort of like the basically the Iago character. But the whole mm. point is that they're you know they're showing you the events that are going on in English history as the thing is going on and all that and so he's supposed to play he's supposed to be influencing all the characters and the, the point they make more to the is that he's Richard III that's who they're but anyway really really excellent um and also I just, just a, I just wrote it down I'm gonna check this out yeah. yeah and the last the last thing that I'll say by way of introduction to myself is I wrote a book earlier this year called Cinemophagy about the films of Toby Hooper um and so people can buy that now Oh, and awesome. Everyone should. It's really good. Oh, thank you. Man. I blurbed that book. You sure did. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember this book coming out. Lucas was telling me about this when this first came out. Yeah. yeah. Lucas yeah. gave me a solid after, you know, he, he, I was, uh, Lucas and I, I've known each other for a very long time and have been sharing yeah. work back and forth for like, God, at this point, set eight years, something like that. Like, yeah, something like that. It's been a while. Yeah. I, I remember. There's a one of my earlier movies, The Kill Play. Uh, we shot some of it in this coffee shop in the home in the in the town that we lived in uh, at the same time. And there's this there's a sign in the back of the one scene for Lucas Bangham's uh, 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 awesome like, reading fest. There you go. Yeah. And I was like, hell yeah, that's the little bit of like that hometown that I captured forever is the Lucas Bangham awesome reading fest. Like is in the background. Right. Of one of my it's great. saved forever now. What the hell yeah. is the awesome? writing fest it's, it's exactly what it sounds like it was uh no writing, though, fe- no writing is awesome like writing no. the act of it is terrible it's boring yeah, i know it was it basically uh if i if i if i could do it all again i would probably uh limit the number of people who read <laughs> um, but i would just oh like, it was a reading oh oh yeah i i think those are <laughs> i know everyone that every, people that listen a lot of people that listen to us know i uh have a long history in writing and Writing conventions and publishing people, and I can't stand readings. If you, well, if, because, if I go well, to a reading, I'm always people don't un, 
a lot of people yeah. don't understand that reading is an art as well. Yeah. It's like, you have yeah. To, like, yeah. Recitation. To yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, yeah, that's just... yeah, that's that's in anonymous as well. Being able to be a good public speaker—that's a huge part of that. Nice. Um, well, it's I I love I love what you do with the unloved because it, it really is an example of like criticism but like used for for good in a way you know (laughs) (laughs) you're i mean you're you're giving a shot to these movies that people just overlooked for whatever reason you know um and i mean and 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 in some cases not even not simply overlooked them but but loathed them loathed loathed them into a negative existence um yeah i've always found like that's that 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 was one of the weird um, uh, side effects of the streaming era. You can't really do that anymore. Bad reviews don't really scare people away the way they used to. Like in the '80s, if you you know Ishtar is probably the most famous example of this. Is they were like, oh well, she wasted all this money, and you're a viewer at home going, who fucking cares how much money it costs? Are you serious? It's Hollywood. None of these movies yeah. have to exist. You're not feeding the poor. Who fucking cares how much they cost? <laughs> and and uh, also like. Uh, just a very recent example of like bad reviews having very different effects with the streaming era um malignant that recently came out on hbo max was an incredibly divisive film and people were very vocal if they loved it or were very vocal if they hated it and i think it was actually a lot of the people being vocal and how much they hated it that sent so many people to watch it out of curiosity and a lot of people were like Oh, this is like I actually really ended up enjoying this movie. I I kind of fall some personally. I'm not sure if I've talked about this movie on the show or just Lucas and I talking about it. I fell somewhere yeah. in the middle. I thought the first two thirds were meh, and the last third was fucking awesome. But it <laughs> took a while to get until it became think, fucking awesome. I mean, I I I, I perhaps uh, uh, famously I I really don't like James Wayne. I really don't think he knows what he's doing with his camera. Neither do I. Neither yeah. do I. I'm right there yeah. with you. Um, so this one to me was like, it, it, like, like being tied to a chair in, in a way where I was like, <laughs> I can't be fucking serious that with like, you did, uh, ah. um, but that's the thing like, is like, he was given the opportunity to do whatever the fuck he wanted. And we got right. a big budget basket case remake. Like, I mean, yes. So we, there we, is that combined element. Combined with the matrix. And it's right. like, this is insanity. But could you, my question for you though, is did you, did you have at all? A difficult time with the the mere spectacle of her walking backwards and killing people in that last. I loved it. No, that's when I was like, oh, this movie's now kicking ass. Like, (laughs) I was losing my shit, laughing so hard, and I was having. I was like, fuck yeah, here we go. Like, but but even 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 with you having said that though, like, I remember I remember your review of the movie was like. I don't know if that was a good movie or not. Right. Yeah. It was something like, uh, yeah, I was like, I'm not even sure if I liked it, but I'll never forget it. And yeah. yeah. And I, uh, I can't really recommend it to anybody. However, nope. if you watch it, you will never forget it either. I rem- I was, I saw it and the whole time I literally was just like, I was like a disappointed kid watching my, like, I don't even, like, it was just, I was so bummed the whole time. And then, I was doing a, a, a Skype call with a, uh, with my friend Ryan, and we, like, you know, try to watch horror movies and stuff over Skype. He's in New York. I'm here in Boston. And we were looking around forever. We couldn't think of anything. And he was like, how's Malignant? I'm like, it's fucking terrible. And then about 20 minutes of us flipping through the whatever, trying to find something to watch, 
I'm just like, do you want to watch Malignant? <laughs> and we did. And we're both sitting there just, again, like a gog, honestly, just like, I can't fucking believe that this is happening. I cannot believe that this movie yeah. is like this. And I think there's some weird value in that. Like, I mean, it's, it's not like necessarily a good movie, but no. it's an interesting contribution to cinematic history. And I'm happy I saw it. I felt something, which is yes. more than I can say <laughs> so during rare. whatever, Avengers Endgame or whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I did feel something. And that's yes. that's nice. But yeah, man, yeah. that James Wayne, he drives me crazy. He hits all my fucking switches about how not to use the camera. That guy just... Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, so, Scout, from your like perspective of... Uh, as you, as you call yourself semi-professional film uh, criticism, uh, what is your take in general on uh, Troma as a company and Lloyd Kaufman as a creator and also like a producer? Well, okay, so I will say you guys have given me, you know, this this assignment to talk about surf Nazis is kind of like. Oh yeah, we're about to get we'll, right. We'll get no, into that. <laughs> of course, yes, but right, but that was what I was going to say is it reignited my my kind of interest in the idea of of trauma because when I was younger and I wanted to watch you know zombie movies and stuff like this and you kind of look around and you see what's available and trauma whatever else is true their shit was always in print they were never hard to find yeah. because Lloyd yeah. was. You know, I mean, you could say shameless, but he was great at that stuff. He was he was he was a relentless and very cautious self-promoter. None of that shit went out of print. When they got to disc, they started throwing content at people. I mean, it was a great business model and it made sure that people like us who grew up with horror things never wanted for content, whatever. You know, and mm -hmm. that's the worst way to talk about stuff as content. But whatever, it's true. You know, we, yeah. we were never denied Whatever weird itch you wanted to see, you have scratched by genre films, there was a trauma movie for you, you know, and I, 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 I didn't really quite understand Lloyd Kaufman's impact until I was in college, I guess, and I got uh, the Criterion edition of Whit Stillman's Metropolitan, which is, you know, a, a, yeah, you know, funny comedy and all, but um, there's deleted scenes on that, and one of the scenes, he did a take where Lloyd Kaufman is in that movie just having a normal conversation in one <laughs> scene as the guy's mentor. It's like a scene at night. Oh, I don't know why. They shot it with like three different people. And I guess Whit Stillman couldn't decide whose performance he liked better. So he went with some other guy. But there's a scene of Lloyd Kaufman having this like heart to heart with the lead of Metropolitan on the disc for uh, for the for the movie. And I was like, wait a minute. If Whit Stillman loves and knows Lloyd Kaufman, clearly his influence is a lot greater than I imagined. And then you start yeah. looking into all the people that he gave chances to and all of the, you know, like we were saying off air about Law and Order SVU, that guy who writes Mother's Day or whatever, he, you encourage people by doing this. And so I, I was saying, I have a, 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 a we, we were talking about combat shock, right, which is sort of like yeah both a typical and atypical trauma film because it's grotesque and it's weird but it's also i mean it's like a racer head right it's not really like yeah. it's not the toxic avenger it's not street trash it's you know it's combat shock there's no other movie like it it's <laughs> insane young eddie pepitone and their drug dealers and you know mutant babies putting your baby in the oven and all that like just the most depressive anti-american film ever made um and <laughs> That movie. I agree it, with all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Um, that movie gave Buddy Giovinazzo his like start. You know what I mean? Like it was because it without trauma picking that movie up, that movie would never gone anywhere. I interviewed Buddy probably 
I don't know, three years ago or something like that. And he, but first of all, like wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, and he talked about how difficult it was to get a second job after combat shock. He would show it to people. Really? He showed it to Charles band and Charles band was like, I can't hire you. You're nuts. I'm not, you're a fucking lunatic. <laughs> And, and Charles so, Band would hire anybody. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so he had to move to he had to move to Germany after Combat Shock to find work. That's true. And, oh, that explains then uh, his friendship with uh, what's his with name? The, uh, the necromantic, necromantic guy. guy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Jorg uh, uh, Butkerite, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm happy so glad you know how to pronounce that. his name. Because <laughs> we were we had no idea what to do with that name. Like no disrespect <laughs> to him, we're just dumb Americans, and yeah. we okay, don't know what yeah. to do Big with the name. Work, work, but I've yeah. never been love, his, love necromantic and necromantic too. You See, that's why you have to have you know fancy big shot big city critics on here to, to pronounce the German yeah. names. <laughs> oh man, just name pronunciation alone, we could have used you for many episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah yori would right um but he also that was why he was in berlin for um uh theater bazaar which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. uh, uh horror yeah. films in the last 10 years or so but everybody on that i mean you know other than I richard stanley uh you know uh, the kind of person you know, i was actually him. friends with richard stanley and then all these things happened which yeah, is very that awkward sucks. that sucks yeah it's not good it's yeah. not a good situation to be in now nah. i still I, I still will hide my copies of color out of space and Dude, hardware well, yeah. and watch them well but. and again it's you know this is this is more this is an issue for male creators more than anything else why would yeah. you ever put your fans in a position like that yeah yeah i love the fucking color out of space i thought that shit was amazing and now i yeah. can't, like i feel dirty when i wanted to just, I, like i yeah. was I was at the North American premiere for Colorado Space there you and go. smoked Dude, weed you, with Richard Stanley and John Skip before the premiere. Didn't you say you premiere. talked to him when he was talking about making it too? He was like oh, talking yeah, about no. making the, the actual yeah. color. Like, no, yeah. I was like in contact with him like through the initial idea of it and like him going over like how he was going to do the color. I remember him even telling me of like. Yeah, uh, good news. I'm like, we just like we're in talks with Nicolas Cage. I think we're gonna get Nicolas Cage. And I'm like, yeah, sure, yeah. Like, good, good, good luck, good luck. And but, then, like, then yeah. I saw like the Variety announcement like a couple weeks later. And I was like, holy shit, you got Nicolas Cage. Yeah. But, that's a like, great performance too. I, I literally like go back with Richard Stanley for quite a large number of years. I met him through the um, uh, the HP Lovecraft Film Festival that happens here annually in uh, Portland, Oregon, and I've been a guest at it for i don't even know how many years at this point uh a lot and i met richard stanley through that and so like i definitely like he was part of our lovecraft film fest community and yeah well, and, and now he's and now he's no longer being invited back to a uh fest yeah yeah that's, if anyone yeah. listening to this doesn't know what the hell we're talking about with Richard Stanley, it's like, wait, I like Richard Stanley movies and that. It's like, uh, do you haven't Googled his name in a while. Go, go, yeah, go do a Google. Do a little it's, research. Um, it's, it's, very it's, it's, it's disappointing. Um, yeah, it is. Well, there's a slight tangent. HP Lovecraft Film Festival, years and years yeah. ago, there was a an incredible, like, cottage industry of, like, regional HP Lovecraft film adaptations. Yeah. Is that still happening? Um, I, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, and it all originated with the Portland one. And -hmm. then there was uh, one in LA, which that no longer exists. And then there was one in Boston. Was there one in Boston? Yes. Yeah. And that was also a branch off of the one in Portland. And that doesn't exist anymore, does it? 
Um, because I remember getting uh, in high school uh, a three-disc set from Netflix of homemade H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. Um, it was probably uh, DVDs that was distributed by the Lovecraft Film Fest here in Portland that they do uh, compilations of the short films that are shown at the fest. That's I, That sounds about right. And it was really cool. Like, I can't say that I remember oh, a whole really lot. Some are really good. But yeah, that was it was it was an awesome idea, too. And that's something I fear has kind of gone away because especially because the viewing diet of your average DIY filmmaker has changed so significantly where I just don't feel like there are people with the energy and the spare time and the money to make, you know, at home H.P. Lovecraft adaptations anymore. I feel like all that shit goes into like Spider-Man <sighs> fan films and whatever. I like, mean, I, I actually yeah. disagree with you being like, I, like, I don't actually have anything to do with the festival outside of um, uh, attending it every year for like 13 years, something right. like that, and being a guest at it for like 10 of those. Yeah. And um, um, I do know, though, that I'm friends with the organizers, and they get literally uh, hundreds of submissions every year. Well, that's awesome. And, and they that still is- are. They still are. That's and so the- fucking cool. And they did bring the festival back uh, this year, but they in 2021, but they didn't have any guests, and it was just for like two evenings rather than like three right, full days were, like it yeah. used to be. And so I didn't mm-hmm. attend it. Um, I did not attend it, so this is my first time missing it. And this year was also the first time in like the show's past 15 years, like the festival's past 15 years that um it did not sell out and i'm going to blame it all on pandemic shit and sure sure and not even everyone not even everyone in portland knew the festival came back but i mean like up to 2019 um they were getting uh hundreds of submissions every year and the festival sold out every day every year which is nuts that's that's incredibly heartening to hear i was concerned that that had gone away um, just because I think that that's one of the cooler things that happens so, is these you know, people springing up doing all this stuff on their own because they're just excited by the writing. And I think one of the ways that the HBO Craft Film Festival here in Portland really kept itself uh, relevant and kept getting submissions and kept selling out is they went very global, is right. taking submissions from anywhere in the world. And so we had people flying from like Argentina and Sweden and uh japan um we actually had a no shit a japanese um uh uh lovecraftian cthulhu themed j-pop group called necro oh, necronami idol that <laughs> came from japan and performed at the festival and it was so fucking cool. mind-blowing it was incredible that's the shit yeah that's, i love that that's fantastic <laughs> Um, but, but, so, uh, so, so it went really global and also reached out to people all over the world. So I think that's one of the ways it's really stayed alive and a really thriving community is that it's also like very global in terms of where they're pulling talent from to display at this event. Yeah. Awesome. That's I, I will. So I will. You're, uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry. yeah, go ahead. I, go ahead. I was going to say you were talking about uh, Buddy G. And, right. Uh, we kind of got derailed by uh, right. Yeah. Tangents are common on this show. Yeah, uh, I would say yeah, yeah it's tough to have a podcast that not could completely thrown. But yeah, so he he talked about how you know if not for Lloyd Kaufman, you know he he never would have cut that platform to get where he was going, and he wouldn't have made all of the interesting stuff that he's done since then. Um, his Vimeo page, if you don't follow him there, you absolutely should because he posts a lot of archival work that's really interesting. Oh, uh, cool. 
And he's just, uh, yeah, and he was, a, he was a guy, he was an artist with a lot to say. And unfortunately wound up, it took him, you know, the better part of 20 years to get to the point where he was working regularly. And even that, frankly, starts and stops. But he, he um, directs for an incredible series of uh, Berlin-based crime shows. Um, a lot of the new German uh, cinema figures that we talk about today were the new, uh, Neue uh, Berliner School, like uh, Dominic Graf and Christian Petzold and people like that also work on these shows, like Polizei Ruff 101 and all that. And, and, and Buddy has sort of slotted himself in there to do uh, really interesting work on those shows. And he's just, you know, again, not a figure who would have found purchase in the 80s studio system. And without somebody like Lloyd Kaufman kind of looking over his shoulder you know, helping him out in that way, then, you know, nobody would have seen Combat Shock. It would have taken even fucking longer to find a cult audience. Yeah. But, you know, again, when Lloyd picks something up, he holds it forever. It's never going anywhere. You can always find it. I think my dad and I rented a, a DVD of it, like, when I was 13 or something like that. Oh, and wow. as we said before, once you've seen it, you never forget that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so is that your favorite trauma movie, or...? No, honestly, I mean, I love Combat Jack. I think it's wonderful, but that's that's a tough call to make um, because they they the, the, and this is another thing that I think gets taken for granted is the sheer volume of offerings and 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 and, yeah. and it's hundreds. It's hundred. I think they have somewhere between four hundred and fifty and five hundred titles in their library at this moment. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and they offer such wildly different things every time. And this is like right. also a kind of a thing is that trauma trauma offers every different kind of genre thing, even within horror, even within the things that they work in and the auspices of what, you know, pick your thing, dystopian fiction or, uh, you know, gore movies and all that. There's still so much variation. Nymphoid barbarian movies. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Nymphoid barbarian. But like, I mean, there's even a, they have one G-rated movie, which uh, I was just trying to look up. I believe it's like the a doggy tail or something like that. <laughs> and it's I, a, a, I a heard kid, that one. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a kid's movie about a dog. And I just know that Lucas and I are going to cover it at some point in the future just okay. to have figure out what the fuck this movie is. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! But then you know you get you get like what is it, Romeo and Juliet and all that, which is where yeah. James Gunn comes from and all that. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It's there's just so much stuff that like even even like you could say that a lot of the Troma House productions are kind of their own animal in that way, like Toxic Avenger, Newcomb High, and all that. You know, and, and they they are thus completely different than so much else of what gets uh, 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 thrown out there. But I was gonna say. I'm going to do I'm going to try to do a video essay about surf Nazis, but also about my other oh, really? favorite uh, 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 trauma film uh, from that era, which is Death by Temptation. Oh, uh, we did yeah, an episode we, on that. We did an episode on that one. And it was uh, it, it was uh, both of our first time seeing it, Lucas. Yeah, I'd never seen it before. And, and I actually found it to be a really interesting movie in terms of its place in the changing Hollywood landscape yeah. that I think like yeah. it falls into place like um, for anyone that listening to this is interested go check out our Death by Temptation episode I put forward my full theory there with all of the my sources and uh, references and that but um, but it's essentially I view Death by Temptation as part of the transition po 
point from like black exploitation to kind of the like in the 90s we had like that urban subgenre in genre fiction i'm well, sorry the, the, in, in genre in, in genre movies and I, I view death by temptation as this interesting placement of a transition from that exploitation yeah. black exploitation to what was like this for lack of better terms what they were calling urban horror at the time and i, I there's a there's a cool connection that i i always uh, uh, appreciate about that moment which is that so Lloyd, you know, buys uh, Death by Temptation, and it's shot by Ernest Dickerson, who, of course, was Spike Lee's cinematographer. Yeah, Ernest Dickerson know. makes Bones in 2001. And so he carries on that tradition where it was like, yeah. okay, he helped James Bond make uh, uh, Death by Temptation, and then he kind of makes his own Death by Temptation. And yeah. his incredible framing, you know, his eye for framing and all that stuff. I love Bones. Playing. I think it's underrated. Agreed. Bones is Agreed. very good. Bones yeah. is great. Um, that was one that I remember showing up at like Blockbuster. It was just suddenly there. And I was like, as a kid, I'm like, wait a minute, Snoop Dogg's in a horror movie? What is it? I don't know. But that's, <laughs> yeah. but all that stuff, again, it was, I, I don't know what it was about the way that I was like sort of consuming media, but that stuff was not like, I, I was not encouraged to think that like Tales from the Hood was serious art, but it is. It's incredible. It's fucking, oh, yeah. it's fucking yeah. good. And that's, you know, I, I, it's just the sort of like ingrown racism of so much of how this stuff is presented and consumed. Um, but yeah, Death by Temptation kind of kicks off that wave of 90s uh, uh, horror directed by black creatives because mm -hmm. it was not really taken for granted. That, that was that was not a thing. You know, even in the 70s, the best of black exploitation stuff, that was all white guys. You know, yeah. <laughs> guys, it was Jews. It was Larry Cohen, you know, like <laughs> it was Jonathan Kaplan and Jonathan Demi. And it was Jack Hill, you know, Jack Hill. Exactly. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Those movies are wonderful. I like, oh, you yeah. know, that's as I'm fond of saying, there is simply no. Thing that substitutes the pleasure that you feel watching the final 20 minutes of the big bird cage. I think that that is really, you cannot get that from any other movie, that charge that you get. There. <laughs> I'm, I'm not familiar with the big bird cage. I'm not familiar oh. with that one. It's so good. So that's, there's a traditional, what they think of as the women in prison trilogy that Roger Corman sent a bunch of his guys to the Philippines yeah. to make. The first one is the big dollhouse, which I believe was Jack Hill's first film for the company because he had by that point made pit stop masterpiece, and uh, Spider Baby, which is wonderful. Spider Baby. Oh, yeah. And so he sends Jack Hill and Pam Greer, who is his secretary, to the Philippines. And with a bunch of the most beautiful women in exploitation, they make The Big Dollhouse, which is the first of the Filipino Roger Corman AIP women in prison films. It's excellent. It's so fun. It's so great. And then the sequel was called Women in Cages. Um, I, on top of my head, I forget who directed it. I think it was like Eddie Romero. But it's not as good. It's not quite as lurid. And then so finally they're like, all right, well, let's like, you know, wrap this up in the best way possible. So they get Jack back again and they make the big birdcage, which is the Marxist overthrow the prison the government movie. Oh, shit. I got to see this movie. Yes. It's the best fucking this sounds, OK, this sounds great. Yeah, it's so good. Sid Haig has to pretend to he has to go undercover as a gay prison guard at one point, which I got to, oh, you know, doesn't, doesn't oh my hold God. up. Doesn't hold up as, you know, far as PC shit goes, but it is maybe his best performance. Oh, my God. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm going to see this movie. This sounds amazing. <laughs> it's so it's so fucking good. That was that my love of that movie led me to my friend Elijah Drenner, who I still do work for today. Um, uh, he does uh, 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 special feature content for um, Arrow, Arrow Video. Um, the oh, incredible. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah, Elijah, I, have a lot, I have a lot of Arrow releases, yeah. There you go, yeah. I mean, Elijah made a movie called American Grindhouse in 2010. Oh, I've um, seen that, yeah. 
There you go. And so I interviewed him for that uh, when I was still in college and we stayed in touch. And so now whenever he does uh, special feature stuff, I, I, I help him send emails and stuff. I love you, Elijah, because he met all those guys. He knew Roberta Collins and he knew Ted Michaels. And he like he was friends with those guys because he really worked hard to get those interviews. He was going to Ray Dennis Steckler's video store and whatever. You know, Elijah really lived the dream as far as that shit is concerned. Oh, that's um, tremendous. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, the, the, he's the guy you want doing it. He's a very serious, very nice, very nice, you know, rational human being. I love Elijah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but that's uh, you got to you got to see the big birdcage. But that's, you know, I, I wrote it down. I'm going to check that one out. You gotta do that. OK, yeah. So, so that's the thing when you hang out with actually, if I hang out with either of you guys, I always end up with yeah, like one of the which is which is why I thought it would be a good show having the two of you together. So. All right. And so then we got to get into it uh, that you already mentioned that you're going to be doing the video on Surf Nazis Must Die, yeah, which Nazis and Death by Temptation. I'm going to try to dovetail yeah. them I think, to talk about Lloyd Kaufman, you know, public. But I need to hear what you have to say about surf Nazis must die because correct me if I'm wrong, Lucas, but so far surf Nazis must die is the only movie that both of us did not like. That is probably correct. Um, I, I, so I also, um, so yeah, because I also really hated tales from the crapper, but you liked the second half. I defend the second half of it. Yeah. Um, we also didn't, we also both, really hated Igor and the Lunatics. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I wanted so bad to like Igor and the Lunatics. That movie's already, like, left my brain. Like, Scout, you you know my aesthetic, right? Like, so, like, yeah. you see a movie, like, if you just saw a still from Igor and the Lunatics, you'd be like, Lucas wants to see this movie. Oh, yeah. And, and I saw it, and I was like, I don't like this movie. <laughs> I still think I'd put Igor and the Lunatics above Surf Nazis Must Die, which is, really? like, why I need the... Can I ask? Can I ask? Yes. I, I initially had it. I, I I didn't have as positive a reaction to it as I as I do now. What did you watch the Blu-ray? Um, I, I watched it on Troma now. No, I saw the DVD. So, question for both of you: How did it look? Did it look like it, shit, or was it, it look, clear? It looked like shit. Yeah. Lucas. Yeah, I would say it didn't look very good. Fascinating. Okay, so my experience. In a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a brief introduction here with Surf Nazis. I read about it. One of my favorite uh, 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 film critics, we'll say broadly, even though that's not really what he does, um, goes by the name El Santo. He writes for the website 1,000 Misspent Hours and Counting. He was one of the very first... That's a first, great website. That's a great website. A, that was one yeah, of the first yeah. horror blog things that I found when I was a teenager. I was working in Doylestown at my grandfather's office, answering the phones. Nobody ever called. So I had a lot of time to kill. And so I discovered online horror writing um, because I wasn't really I wasn't really on the Internet doing normal shit or whatever. And then suddenly I'm at this desk. I have nothing else to do. I can't I didn't have a cell phone. So I started reading online horror. And he was the first guy that I really like fell in love with because we agreed on a couple of crucial things. But he also challenged me in other ways, the things that he was pointing out that movies could do differently, which was a very important lesson because you learn that about film critics is, again, it's it's about viewing things differently than you would have ordinarily. It's about seeing as broad of a picture of a film as you can. And he talked about Surf Nazis Must Die Um and described the sort of hypnotic quality of the surfing scenes and the beautiful synth score and all that. And I 
absolutely like i was like yeah hell yeah let's do this and i watched it i was like this looks like terrible though this looks so bad um but then they cleaned the print up and they released a blu-ray mm. edition and i got my hands on that and i was like i get it now this is so, actually a beautiful film it was supposed to be. i will definitely concur with you on the soundtrack like i i think Look, um like that was like the that, only positive thing we had to say about the movie in we our episode like, was this soundtrack it, was fucking like, awesome the soundtrack has almost a bigger following than the movie itself and like and, Understandably, and it, it I deserves think, it it's great music it's like as i remember i remember at times struggling to make out what i was looking at on screen because the print was so fucking bad i had the yeah. dvd or whatever thing that was available at the time um but then they did the blu-ray and i was like oh wow this guy actually has a compositional sense the edit is incredible the rhythm of the thing is amazing. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. It doesn't overstay its welcome. And it's funny. Oh. And it's weird. And I just, I fucking fell in love with it. You know, I enjoyed myself the first time, you know, listening to the music, especially that score is incredible. I think that that, is. that synth score, pound for pound, as good as anything John Carpenter ever did. That's um, actually the conclusion yeah. we came to. We, that's exactly what we cited as well. It sounded like on par with a classic Carpenter score Absolutely. however i do have to fucking dispute the surf footage because when we did the episode that was one of the like things i was pointing out the most is like it felt to me like half the movie footage half the movie was footage of you i want to say stock footage but it wasn't because the director actually no, filmed all that stuff yeah yeah they, they they he flew out the entire uh crew and cast to hawaii to get all the surfing scenes which yeah. i think most of the movie's budget was probably spent on this like hawaiian vacation for everybody i mean if <laughs> it could be worse you could be making analyze that true that's the best location to make the worst movie of your career but <laughs> it just i felt like this like you thought the premise of the surf nazi like gang was really interesting and really fun but I just felt like they never really did a whole lot with it in the course of the movie. And a lot of the movie felt to me like the scenes were like killing time and dragging. Um, and like the conclusion I came to from it of of all the trauma movies, Surf Nazis Must Die is one I think would be the best for remaking. Because I had the brilliant premise, but in my opinion, I thought the execution of it was just, it just fl felt so flat to me. It felt like a chore watching it to me. Interesting. Well, I would, I would, I would offer, and again, I know that, you know, it's, 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 it's a tall order to ask somebody to rewatch a movie that is fresh in their mind as terrible. But if you <laughs> never get a chance to see the cleaned up print, it does a lot of, it pays dividends because. That's intriguing. Not a, it was not a movie that I considered better than the score. And then I still I still think that the synth music puts it into the upper echelon for fucking certain. That is one of the great synth scores, you know, full stop. But I think that the movie... I'd mean, rather just listen to that soundtrack. The soundtrack makes great music. It just yeah. is unfortunate the movie it's attached to. <laughs> well, here's, 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 what I'll, here's what I'll say by way of, of defense, is that, you know, when, when I could see what he was doing with the sort of... You know, again, like I, the, the, uh, uh, maybe a key to me of the aesthetic of the thing is how much of that movie um, uses image of graffiti, images of yes. graffiti, yeah. because it's a film that is sort of speaking this language of kind of degenerate, you know, street art and pop art in that way, where it's mm. got this Roy Lichtensteinian quality to the images where you're seeing things that should be clockwork orange, but they're made for no money. So they kind of just look like kids. And I really appreciated that because that is exactly the the way that you should tackle the suburban Nazi as a thing. 
I want to also say that the I, um, Surf Nazis is not something he made up for the movie. It was a real thing. Oh, there was we, right. we go into the long history of Surf Nazis in our episode. There you like, go. We, we, I have the whole history of that in there. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that's yeah. I was gonna say the the perhaps the most terrifying, you know, like chapters of that are the the mickey dora stuff which is one of the, he's one of the most like awful figures in surfing history um do you guys do you, i don't think we i don't we think we that. Yeah. i don't think we went into in the episode but in my research i definitely came across them so do you want to relay it to everybody because sure. this I is mean, yeah. good follow-up information from our surf nazis episode mickey dora was um like a, a big figure in that thing. He was one of the first people who became sort of colloquially known as a surf Nazi because that was the whole thing was they just didn't want people going to their spots. So the movie Gidget comes out and he fucking hates it because people, amateurs, are going to the beaches that he goes to and they're taking up all the spots and he thinks that he's fucking up all the wave time and all that. So in retaliation, Mickey Dora's like acolytes go to uh, this guy, Frederick Connell, I think is his name, who wrote the book that Gidget is based on. And Gidget was based on his his little girl um, yeah. who they moved to Germany as the Nazis were taking. I'm sorry. They moved away from Germany as the Nazis were taking power. They settled in California and his daughter took up surfing. And so he wrote Gidget about it. And uh, they found out where he lived and they painted a swastika on his door. Um, yeah. And that was like the sort of the moment at which the term surf Nazi also fully took on the ideology of the Nazi party, as we understand it now, but Mickey Dora was a crazy white supremacist. He was one of the most famous surfers in LA from like the forties and it was like late, like late forties, fifties into the sixties, but he had to move to South Africa because he was so fucking racist that he couldn't handle the fact that there were people in LA. Yeah, that's who, right. Like, like there were black people in LA who wouldn't put up with being pushed around by a fucking surfer. So he moved yeah. to South Africa and just like lived like Colonel Kurtz, basically. Like he like, oh Jesus. Yeah, he had like manservants and, and shit. He and just to like, highlight to anyone listening, if you're not making the connection, during this time period that he moved to South Africa is during the apartheid government. Absolutely. So when you're a white yeah. person actively choosing to move to South Africa during that time period, it really says a lot about you as a human being. Yeah, Mickey yeah. Dora was a true, a tried and true psychopath, like a, like an absolute, you know, fucking mind conf toting lunatic when it came to race stuff. And he was one of the most well-known surfers in California at the time. And he was oh, one of the people who originates the term surf Nazi. And he was the guy who kind of made that connection concrete because he both didn't want people surfing where he surfed and he hated black people. So and Jews, he hated everybody. Um it's usually how it goes, right? Like, it's usually, like, the, the the people who say, like, they're always like, oh, I'm not racist, I hate everybody equally. I'm like, that means you're a dick. Yeah. <laughs> not only are you a racist, you're a piece of shit <laughs> on top of yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> not that one doesn't preclude the other, but, uh, yeah, anyway. Sure. So, yeah, that stuff, like, I, 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 I appreciated the idea of Surf Nazis Must Die painting a picture of your average tough-talking, you know, knife-wielding surfer asshole as an overgrown child. I mean, all the shit with Smeg's mom makes me laugh so hard. I love that stuff. <laughs> Fucking kills me. Where she's, like, waiting outside his window with the flashlight to be like, get back inside! Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. That shit just kills me. So, like... But I, she was the best... She was the best part of the movie. She's and, incredible. And, like, um, I love... The actress that portrayed her in the movie is phenomenal. And yeah. I just really wish that, like... See, well, Jeff the movie wanted, had like her in it. 
Jeff and I wanted, I think we wanted, uh, we wanted World War II on a beach, I think was what we were talking oh, yes. Okay, because this did bother me. So with this, so there's actually multiple bad guy gangs. And then yeah. the surf, well, like there's the a, the there's a Nox, yeah, but there's a Nazi gang and then there's a Japanese gang. And you don't have a fucking Italian gang to like ride the round out the Axis powers. All and you're calling it surf in New York. <laughs> they didn't have any Italians in LA. Just, just have that's like true. a bunch of like pasta, pasta chefs surfing gang. Like that's, <laughs> that's what the movie was fucking missing. And this is why I think it can make for a great remake. So you have like you do like the Axis powers as the bad guy gangs, and then you can also have like the Antifa gang. And I, I don't know, it's like another good, um, like weird progressive gang. I didn't really get that far yet in my pitch, but I can come up with something, I'm sure. But at the very least, I think there's something right there. But it really bothered me in the movie that, like, okay, you have the Japanese, you got the Germans, but you don't have the Italians to round out the access powers. Like, mm-hmm. you missed it right there. <laughs> well, I think that... I think that, I latch on to strange details. Oh, I was going to say, I think that basically the, the point there is that, obviously the bits of history that our writers and directors are latching onto has a lot more to do with what was popular in cinema at the time than anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at other, cause when, when is fucking Kabuki man, which is another film that like has a weird Japanese fetishization problem yeah. in the trauma catalog. It's right around that same time. People loved all that. I mean, 42nd street and I that's presume, a very good, that's a very good point. Also in combat shock, the callback, the, the, uh, the random guy with like the Japanese flag headband. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's you know. Which, by the way, the director did say on the audio commentary that one thing he wished he could change is he changed that guy's uh, costume because it just does not look right anymore. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buddy's a smart guy. He knows. No, he knows. I mean his commentary, uh, like every uh, like, it was great. It was a great he was commentary. Just super honest. Like he would be like, yeah, I would have done that differently. Like I, I like. <laughs> Just like with various parts, like I was like, that's fun. I like yeah. that. He, he also says he wished he now would have done it as like a uh, hour long short film instead of an hour and a half long movie. And I'm like, oh, it would have been perfect. As... I was gonna say, yeah, an hour, an hour, I think is perhaps the perfect time for Combat Shock. Yeah, but I guess you know when you're when you're trying to get it into theaters or whatever, it exactly. looks more legit. You know? Yeah, uh, that that was the uh, literal issue. It just had to be whatever the minimum length was, 80 minutes or whatever, and he was forced to just make it longer, which is why some shots in combat shock tend to drag. Well, there's so there's much some walking. Extra scenes. There's so much there's fucking walking, walking around in combat yeah. shock. Um, it's like the driving and video violence. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> or in uh, A Critical Madness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh, did you notice uh, the only name in the cast that I recognized was Ted Pryor? Um, he plays Blow, who is one of the, you know, the, the hot blonde surfers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, his brother was David Pryor, and he made with him... Oh, wait, we're back to Surf Nazis, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Surf Nazis. Yeah, yeah, okay, sorry. sorry, I was trying this to connect to Combat Shock. Oh, no, 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 I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. Combat Shock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, continue, yeah. continue. Yeah, uh, Ted, uh, yeah, so, uh, Ted Pryor is the hero of, I want to say it's called Deadly, fuck, what's it called? Deadly something or other. Um... Deadly Prey, which is oh the, oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. You're Deadly Prey. It's, uh, it's basically most dangerous shot game. in guy's backyard, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's most dangerous game plus Rambo. 
And it's shot in the guy's, yeah, in like the, like the woods behind his house. It's fantastic. It's so fun. It's so good. Yeah. So Ted Pryor, his brother, David was the director. And so they worked on that together. And that's the the, kind of the the homemade LA cinema that I really. He did a sequel, like. Yeah. 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 Like, like not long ago. (laughs) Like, yeah. Like 10 years ago at the most called like Deadliest Prey, right? Deadliest Prey. That's right. From 2013. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Uh, that movie had like uh uh, uh fucking what was I gonna say? Uh, Cameron Mitchell is in that uh, is in that original one, like you know getting Jeez. oh fucking so funny. Um, but that's and again it sort of links it to the, the the thing that we're talking about with the H.P. Lovecraft thing. I like the idea of kind of homegrown exploitation. I think that that's a fucking very it. fun yeah. idea. And and you know I, I I happen to respond very well to at once the sort of you know the way that uh uh uh. Peter George frames things. I like the absurdity of this woman in the nursing home who is like, you know, fleecing all of the other, you know, women is the one who takes revenge and she's the hero of the film and she's fucking cutting their heads off with a boat yeah. and everything, throwing grenades at. Like, yeah, that was fucking great. Like, yeah. yeah. That's why I was like, just, she's the best part of the movie. And yeah. anytime she's not on screen, I was like, ah, let's see what she's <laughs> up to. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, but uh, yeah, I yeah, I just I I love surf Nazis. I could watch it again right now. I'm just, I bought Miller High Life because they drink it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, so, I bought I bought Yingling Lager because they finally started selling it in Texas. Is that so? How about that? Yeah. I, so oh, I was like, shit. Oh, Yingling. I was from. I was missing yeah. the Northeast. Oh, and you've got Lone Star. I love Lone Star. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm drinking uh, Hop Valley. Uh, Portland. Prox- Proxima, I'm drinking, yeah, I'm drinking like local craft good beer. <laughs> no, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Jeff. I, 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 I wasted so much money pretending that I liked IPA. And <laughs> I love IPA. Like, you know so. what? I'm just going to I'm just going to lean into like my uh, my white trashiness and just like drink Yingling and Lone Star. And I like. so you're from Pennsylvania. At a certain gr- point, you just have to from Pennsylvania too. Yes, I am. Oh, you are? Yeah, I, I when you when you mentioned Doylesville, I was like, oh, oh shit, yeah. Doylestown, <laughs> Doylestown, whatever. Doylestown, I was like, oh, oh shit, I recognize that. Where, where, where are you from? Uh, Southern York County. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Right on the uh, state line, right on the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> it's a weird place. I I can only imagine. I mean, Doylestown <laughs> had its problems too, but that I mean, you know, we were like rich on paper, even though you know, like <laughs> yeah. Like my family was not, but a lot of a lot of fucking people in town were. There's a guy. There was a lawyer uh, who um, had oil lamps lit 24 hours a day outside of his uh, office. Jesus Christ! I know. That's Doylestown for you. Money to yeah. burn, literally, literally, money to burn. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and my stepdad, you know, they're since they're lawyers, they worked in Doylestown, but uh, they didn't live in Doylestown. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, we lived we lived like just outside of town proper in a little you know like kind yeah, of no, I, sunken suburban house. I but, went to uh, that, I went to I, that house. When, all right, uh, all right, guys, when all right, guys, I, all right, guys. I gotta interject here. Like this is a trauma podcast, and while we do do lots of tangents, I don't think all of us reminiscing about small town Pennsylvania is what anyone is here for. So I'm gonna I mean, steer the conversation it. back to cinema. You're right. You're uh, right. Yeah, please, please, fire away. My bad. <laughs> so scout. Um, uh, so you so you, you, we've already spotlighted um, uh, Defy Temptation and Surf Nazis Must Die is two trauma films you think deserve like serious consideration. Are there any other particular titles in the trauma catalog that either you think 
deserve some consideration that they're not getting or do they just perhaps speak to you personally and you're a personal big fan of them i no, i mean those are the ones that really like stand out i'd have to like revisit for instance toxic avenger which i haven't seen in fucking forever like i remember that was a movie that i watched most of on the tv at a video store oh man i have like the toxic avenger like memorized i've seen it so many times <laughs> um but uh i will say Lo- lloyd was involved with a movie i like called silent night bloody night um which is not an official trauma release but it is one of the great christmas horror films um i, I feel like i had that on one of those did did either of you ever get those like um the 13 movie the, like discs? like uh, yeah like where it was like 13 best movies for like yeah I actually off. always avoided those, and no one ever got me one as like a bullshit present in the year at Christmas. So I never, I know exactly oh, I, what you're I talking about, but I never had one. I actively oh, yeah. looked for those. <laughs> um, I will also say a weird little known bit of history. Uh, the movie Bloodhook was directed by J- Jim Mallon, who then went on to help co-produce and create Mystery Science Theater. Um, nice. Oh, and so I did not know that. Without the push from Lloyd there, we might not have had Mystery Science Theater. Wow. The technical side of that show. One. Yeah. So that that one's that one's close to my heart for that reason. I I I can't I can't speak to its quality, but it is it is a it is a movie that is important in my own sort of like personal makeup because obviously there's 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 perhaps no living fan bigger than uh, of Mystery Science Theater than myself. Um but uh I like street trash a lot. I think that's... Oh, Street Trash, though, is not a trauma film. Not that, a trauma film? Am I wrong it's about that? It's not. It's most commonly it's, confused as It's a our most film. requested episode from people that listen to the show is Street Trash, and we have to tell every single one of them it's not a trauma, epi- it's not a trauma <laughs> movie. Though we've gotten it requested so much, we now have to do an episode about it, mostly yeah. just to do an episode to start it with telling everyone this is not a trauma movie. So you think funny. it is, but it's not. So yeah. what's the story there? Why does everybody think it's a trauma film? Just because it's a perfect New, trauma movie that trauma just had nothing to do with. Oh, it, and the, the uh, it's the, the mayor 80s. from Toxic Avenger is is in it. There is crossover with the cast, and that's just yeah. because they're pulling from the same group of you know low budget '80s genre actors in New York City. But it it just feels so similar. It's because Lloyd Kaufman and Whoever directed Street Trash, which I cannot think of at all right Roy now. Roy Uh No, Roy wrote it. Um, wrote he did it. not okay. direct it. But it's uh, just like he him. got in trouble too. Actually, he got me too. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like Lloyd and the guy who made uh, uh, Luke Hoffman and the guy who made uh, uh, Street Trash were just like really vibing on all the exact same concepts at the exact same time in the exact same city pulling from the same pool of talent but they actually like on a professional actual like working level did, like had nothing to do with each other wild and then oh, the guy Jay who michael made Street- Moreau. okay and he went he's gone on to be like what like the most successful cinematographer in hollywood which is why we've never seen another movie from him since <laughs> well it's like ricky giovanazzo becoming a uh, uh orchestrator for every major film Yep. Yeah. So so uh but yeah, man, I do I do fucking love Street Trash. I'm looking forward yeah, to see, when we 
cover that on this yeah. show. And it's also going to be fun to dig into uh, any sort of connections we can find to Troma in terms of, you know, people who worked on it. Because I'm also certain if we dig into it, there's a lot of people on the crew who also worked on Troma Productions. Sure. Yeah. Um, that is crazy that, it, that like... I don't know. Like even even Scout is like, like was like, oh, it's a trauma movie. <laughs> I I I don't know how I even heard that for the first time, but I you know. Uh. Yeah. No, it's one of those things that like I just always yeah like I always hear that it's a trauma movie and then I look and yeah it's no definitely it's not. not. Yeah. Um, trauma uh distributed Argento's Stendhal syndrome on yes. Earth. And I love that film, Two Pieces. Yes. Um, we, that's we've already great... done uh, the Fulci film they did distributed, so we need that's to right. do the Argento one soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which the Fulci film was very interesting. I uh, enjoyed if it. You, if you haven't seen it, uh, The New Gladiators, is, is that right? I, yep, the, uh, I, yep. The, the trauma title. So what mm-hmm. was the um, original title? Do you remember it, Lucas? Uh, like something Warriors like of the Warriors year of 2072 or something like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's uh, if Fred Williamson is in it, right? Because of course he yeah. is. He's um, in all those movies. Yeah, <laughs> every movie like that he's in. It's a it's a very interesting, weird, fun oddity that I had not I had not seen before watching for this show. Um, but it's just like bizarre science fiction post apocalyptic Italian grindhouse movie, which. By Fulci, of course. Yeah. Well, it was. I love it because it's um, it's 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 the perfect gap bridging between Rollerball and The Running Man because the whole thing is they're shooting yeah. a show called Kill Bike. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which is my favorite <laughs> fucking shit of all time. Kill uh, Bike. Fuck. It's oh. also the last uh, collaboration between Fulci and Dardano Sacchetti. Is that true? Wow. It's tragic. Yeah. yeah. They worked well together. Or. Certainly, they work a lot. Um, I, I, I love their test. Like, I do too. I do it's too. a guy that it's like you you do this your whole life and you still seem to not know how the world works. <laughs> if I, I recall correctly, I think we talked about in the episode they like got into a big fight or something and like uh, on this movie. Like I forget what it was about, yeah. but it was specifically on, if, on New do, Gladiators. Do we? I don't remember if we actually knew what it was about or if we just found out that they got into a big fight. But yeah, it was, it was, they got into a big conflict about yeah, New Gladiators, remember. which is what ended their like working and personal relationship. Yeah. Jesus, that's a, that's, that's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I'm like trying to... I'm, try, I'm like racking my... My What's blame. your opinion of uh, Cannibal the Musical? Uh, That's Matt Stone and Trey Parker's first film. It sure is. And I, you know, <laughs> I understand it. I respect what they're doing. I get it. I laughed a couple of times, but I don't know that that's a movie I need to see again. Oh, really? Yeah. That's okay. That's interesting. Matt Stone, I, I, Matt Stone I personally Trey think it's one of their best works. And I've seen the Book of Mormon live. I, oh, there you go. I was going to say, like, Matt, I'm a Matt super Trey, fan of them. They kind of they kind of rub me the wrong way sometimes. Like I I can get that I can yeah, get, I get that. that. As a fan <laughs> of theirs, they sometimes I think they have really awful takes on some topics. But I really appreciate how they have such a unapologetically the the unique uh, artistic perspective. Even if I don't always like it, it's always them, which I find very very 
uh, interesting and satisfying in uh, in the arts. Yes, yes. No, I certainly certainly a a a perspective uniquely theirs. Whatever yeah. else is true. Uh, and, and if you don't like it or if it rubs you the wrong way, it's like I can totally see it because it's like it's it's a very unique unique yeah. perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I do really highly recommend that you check out uh, Father's Day uh, before we start recording. We we're um, I believe it was before we start recording that we were yeah. briefly talking about what some of the. Uh, Choma films in recent years were, mm-hmm. and um, I had recommended Father's Day to you, yes. and that's made by a art collective that used to be known as Astron Six. That uh, essentially the Father's Day movie and its release ended up dissolving the artist collective, uh-huh. and they still all work together, but they no longer work on the same name, and not everyone works on every project. And there's a really this, fucking fascinating the Psycho Gorman story. guys. Oh God, yes. okay, yeah, yeah, right. Yes, yeah. yeah, so they they made uh, uh, Father's Day, which is unrelated to Troma's Mother's Day, but the title is vague in tribute to mothers. So they're having fun with. I'm it. actually surprised and you haven't seen it. I thought I I, I, I no, I, well, that guy. I it's really amazing. It's it's wild, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It is one of the most insane movies I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. Fuck yeah, it's, all right. <laughs> the yeah. movie starts with a um, – there's a supernatural father rapist murderer who comes back every couple years to a small town. Oh, the fuck to, man. The fuck man to rape and murder fathers and Jesus the – and like – the small town kind of ganging up against a slasher villain, but that's kind of like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And it just goes insane. It's a weird one. There's stop motion, giant monsters by the end of it. Like it gets fucking wacky. Yeah. And it's also insanely offensive. It I, is I can only imagine. incredibly <laughs> offensive. And I think it's a work of goddamn art. And one of the best things trauma has ever touched so so it's okay so one of these guys later went to go do psycho uh, gorman psycho gorman yes yes okay um but there's a bunch of people that was involved in the movie and um that worked they've all gone on to do their own things like i think uh, one of them two of them did the void Yes, yes, yes. It's yes. the same guy. Same guy, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Psycho Gorman, whoever it was, whichever of the guys it is, he also did. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it seems like I've got to see this. I, oh, they also I, did uh, – What they also went on to do Leprechaun Returns. Of course. Of course they did. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a movie uh, – there's a trail movie that I don't – uh, that I that I kind of like again for the sort of weird homemade quality, uh, which it went under two different names. One of them was Curse of the Screaming Dead. The other one was Curse of the Cannibal Confederates. Um, oh, I've come across that title, but I've never seen that one. It's not a movie that I'm going to make a great claim for. I'm not going to tell you it's a <laughs> masterpiece, but I kind of enjoyed watching it. There's like a homemade yeah. there's a homemade quality to it that I like. It kind of seems like like a bar band got together to make a horror movie one weekend or something, you know, yeah. I mean? like they all look like they could be in the Almond brothers. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. I was, I was, I was charmed by that one. As silly as it is. Um, Troma also produced a movie by Giuseppe Andrews, who is a fascinating figure. I don't know if you guys know him. Um, I know that name. Um, I, uh, yeah. The name sounds familiar. Who is that? 
So Giuseppe Andrews was going to be a um, kind of like a young. Uh, he was going to be like a star, basically. He's in Detroit Rock City. Um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I really, I actually really like that movie, and I yeah, don't like good. Kiss Adam at all, Rick. but it's a really good movie. Yeah, Adam. Rick I like Kiss yeah, in that movie. Like studio, you know, <laughs> effort or whatever there, but then. So Giuseppe Andrews, rather than becoming the kind of pretty boy star he could have been because he was, you know, that whole cast is handsome as hell. Um, he moved to a trailer park and started making movies with the like drug addicted residents of the trailer park. Um, Adam Rifkin made a movie about him called Giuseppe Makes a Movie where they. Chronicle. I, 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 I may have seen this. When did this come out? Um, uh, Giuseppe Makes a Movie is about 10 years old. Um. But, I uh, think I think I've seen I think I've seen Giuseppe. Uh, what's the name again? Giuseppe makes a movie. Giuseppe. I think I've seen Giuseppe makes a movie. I yeah. think I've just seen the documentary. There you go. Yeah, because so his first movie was Touch Me in the Morning, but he just kept going. He made like a couple things that I think were also distributed by Troma. He what they, they got names like Trailer Town and Grandpa and Dad's Chicken and the Laundry. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and That's I've definitely special. seen this document. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about now. I've seen the documentary, but I've never actually seen any of the work he made. Right, any of his movies. Yeah, I don't even know, in the mo- for the most part, where you'd find them. I guess the Troma ones have to be available because Troma has never let anything go out of print. No, um, no. But, uh, yeah, that was – that was again, it's, it's, it's a case of them seeking out interesting uh, artists. Um, and Sometimes even stuff they don't like. Like, Lloyd has gone on record saying, like, I – like he hates blood sucking freaks. Yes. He's like I, I, I mean, I, I don't blame him. <laughs> I I, I defend really the shit that out movie. of like, blood sucking freaks. <laughs> well, I love. Like when we were researching it, it made me love the movie so much more because Joel Reed, the guy who directed Blood Sucking Freaks, was primarily a porn film director, and he got all of these people that worked on like the porn movies behind the scenes and on camera, and all these people that he made friends with in the New York exploitation horror scene, mm-hmm. and they thought they were making a mainstream movie. <laughs> this was their thing that they were filming off hours, and they all oh, yeah. thought like this is going to be our big oh, we're, breakout. We're making a hammer this film, is, you know? <laughs> yeah, like this is wow. this is how we get like like we're going to make the big bucks now. We're going to move into the mainstream, and they made fucking blood sucking freaks. And well, I that's... find that so fascinating and joyous yeah. because everyone that worked on the movie only has positive things to say about working on the movie. Which it's is, like they they I had all a great time. I was, uh, yeah, it, I, that was a it, weird one to watch. Cause I'd put it off for so many years and I watched it for this show and I was like, and I don't know, like I got it. So I got really in my head about it, but like in a good way, like I sure. was like, is there more to this movie than like, like uh, that, you know, like I started thinking yeah. maybe there was, you know, and maybe there isn't. But, like, I don't know, like, we, we talked for two and a half hours about it, and, like, we had to, like, stop. We're like, there's more to say, but, like, we need to we need to put a bow on this episode, because we're at two and a half hours. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. It is that kind of a film. I mean, it is. And that's the, you know, the best of, of trauma, and indeed the best of, like, transgressive art, you know, quality, yeah. be damned is fascinating in that way and that was really the last decade where where 
actual strange and uncomfortable risks were being taken in that particular way. And I have to say, you know, good, because now nobody's lives are in danger, you know, for <laughs> yeah. making whatever. Okay, yeah, that's true. But, yeah. it, it, you know, I think, I, think, I think an argument can be made that we are so. perhaps poorer without, you know, a sense of true transgression in our no i i get that like i i feel that same way like as a as a wrestling fan like i like i'm watching like the dark side of the ring stuff and i'm like what would the documentary on like nowadays wrestlers be like (laughs) it would be very bland unfortunately i mean good (laughs) because like i don't want people overdosing on drugs or stabbing each other in the locker room but (laughs) yeah it's uh it's it's the i mean this comes up a lot now because uh boy do we but it's the 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 proverb may you live in interesting times yes Uh, yes you don't really want to do that yeah i I really didn't want to live in these interesting times we've been going through through recent no i'd like to be able to go to the 7-eleven without a face mask (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. No, no, I kind of actually did the face mask because I have some really cool, really stylish, like, uh, like uh, street art uh, artists uh, designed by some of the upper playground people face masks. I'm happy that's, to work them into that's my called making. That's called making chicken salad out of chicken shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. Blood sugar. And also, for the record, just tie back... COVID, though, like, talking about how things are shitty, COVID's what killed uh, Joel Reed, Joel who Reed. did blood-sucking freaks. He died of COVID. Is that true? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. New York Times did a profile on him that in the early days of the coma of the COVID pandemic, he was amongst the um, early people to oh, die uh, in New York City. No, no profile you, made for, for making blood-sucking freaks, but you get a profile but, for dying. But he <laughs> got a profile, and they talked about blood-sucking freaks in the New York Times because he was one of the early victims of COVID-19 in the United States. And then uh, Brick Bronski from – That's uh, what I was about to bring up. Uh, from Class of Newcomb High 2 and 3 as well. Wow. Yeah. Who so, Lucas and I have become a huge fan of. Huge fans of, yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, COVID killed him as well. Yeah. Um. That's insane. I did not yeah. know that. Uh, or maybe I did know that, but I fucking forgot it. That's for sure because I well, don't uh, spend a lot of time thinking about Joel Reed in a given day. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Although he did write a he did write a book in oh? the '80s about what a about what a fraudster Donald Trump is. He wrote yes. about oh, that yeah, that's, in the '80s. Yes. So we're but like he was like so, the anti Donald Trump. He was like the negative image of Donald Trump because he was right. just as big a fucking scumbag and a con man. <laughs> He was literally a pornographer. He was an underground pornographer. It takes one to know one, and sometimes, you know. Yeah, uh, no, I guess that's true. Somebody should find that book and adapt it. (laughs) Now that he's dead and he can't make any money off of it, absolutely go for it. Um, The the story that you're telling me about everybody thinking that they were making a great movie while they're making Bloodsucking Freaks, that to me is like a perfect testament to this idea that everybody likes to ask. In the 90s, I think it was Terry Gross interviewed Kevin Costner, and she said, you know, Waterworld tanked and postman tanks but you've been in a, a number of wonderful films that people really love bull durham and you know uh perfect world and whatever else and and she said when you're on set do you know you're making a bad movie and he goes no because it's the same process and clearly that's true even though yeah i don't i wonder i really do wonder because i just 
you know, you you guys know the movies that we've seen, the the yeah. sheer staggering number of them, the sound of a line delivery. There's got to be clues, don't you think? I, I, I want to point out that the Blood Sucking Freaks crew didn't think they were making a good movie. They thought they, they were making a mainstream, mainstream. movie. They yeah. thought this was going to get a wide release that the mainstream crowds were going to flock to it. That's right. what baffles me the most. But Not even the, when they're filming the thing where they got the dick in the hot dog bun. They even... thought this is what people <laughs> wanted. What people, man? Don't they know I people? I don't know what <laughs> don't them and their so. friends wanted, which is what makes the movie that much more wonderful to me. Just like they thought this was going to go big. They thought everyone was going to want to see this. It's just like oh. this is like trailer copy that you're doing right now. They thought <laughs> they were. Making yes, they thought this was going to launch them into the upper echelons. They thought wrong. So, this Thanksgiving. <laughs> the words in the book. <laughs> It's mank, but it's about blood-sucking things instead of citizen games. So what we also like really like to do with the show, just like in general, is spotlight um, independent underground art. You know, obviously the focus of our uh, show is movies, um, and so I was wondering, like, like non-trauma related of really independent movies that. You may want to talk about the really spotlight that may be of interest to somebody that's listening to a trauma podcast. That's like we already addressed, we already briefly talked about street trash and like any others like that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, I guess I should talk about um, the short film work of Sophie Ramvari, who is uh, an artist from uh, uh, working in Canada. Um, who's made a number of incredible, you know, basically no budget documentaries, the latest of which is called Still Processing, which I believe just played Doc NYC. Um, man, uh, I don't know if I'm familiar with her. Well, like, what, what, what is her stuff? What's that documentary? It, it, it's uh, it's incredible. It's uh, so it's uh, she makes confessional works just sort of about, I mean, uh, uh, the, the many different facets that the condition of being a, a, you know, a young woman in this century takes. She made a movie called uh, Pumpkin Movie, which is her and a friend over Skype carving pumpkins and sharing stories of being, like, uncomfortably uh, approached by men. Um, mm -hmm. So still processing is a thing where she's looking at pictures that have finally been developed of uh, her uh, of a deceased family member. Um, uh, her first movie, I think it's called Nine Behind, and it's about a woman having a long conversation with a, a relative from Hungary who is a member of the film industry, which is based sort of on the fact that she's distantly related to Istvan Szabo, who was this major figure in new Hungarian cinema. Um, I, yeah, I want to like, I want to take a second and like, you know, make sure and, that I'm highlighting. We, yeah. I was like, and what's her name again? Sophie Ramvari. Sophie um, Ramvari. Uh, yeah. R O M V A R I. And, I'm sorry, so okay. Yeah, you've seen some of her stuff before, right? I I must have, yeah. She's she's yeah. A, a a friend and just uh, somebody who's who's really making and, it work. And, and you um, can find her work online. Yeah, absolutely. You can find a lot of it on Vimeo. Um, and she's still right. there's a couple of things that are still playing festivals and whatnot. Again, like I was saying, she just played Doctor yep. NYC. Um, talk about uh, my friend Bram Reuter, um, who is a Danish experimental filmmaker, B-R-A-M-R-U-I-T-E-R, -E incredible, incredible short form uh, experimental filmmaker, um, you know, not exactly trauma or anything, but like an incredible artist. Um, should talk about the short film work of Hania Angus, uh, 
uh, H-A-A-N-I-Y-A-H, Angus, A-N-G-U-S. Um, in 2020, she released three short films, which were my vote for the best films that I saw that year. Um, just these, oh, really? they're, yeah, they're literally, I mean, they're, they're a minute, two minute long each. And I was so moved by them. I was just unspeakably moved by these things, these personal little sort of confessional poems set to images. Uh, one of them is called Last Night I Dreamt That Somebody Loved Me. One of them is called A Letter to Adolescence. The other one is called The Tale of Eurydice. Um, I think this is the one who you actually sent me stuff from. Not I might first. have. I might yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Them together. you gotta, you got to look into them. There's a, a, um, a, a Ho-Chunk filmmaker named Sky Hopinka um, who makes beautiful, formally audacious. I mean, it's like I – the thing that I talk about all the time is that I, I, I want to watch movies that are – that I, that I would never have seen elsewhere. That, you know, like they're making yeah. decisions that I would never have seen anywhere else. And Sky is one of those people that he's still doing things in this kind of like 60s experimental vein, but he's doing them in a way that, again, comes from a perspective that is absent from mainstream American cinema specifically, but also just from cinema writ large. And Sky does incredible fucking work. Um, I don't know him personally, but he's amazing. And I have just been following his career with interest for a number of years now. And, uh, his latest is a feature called Malthny, um, and it's, uh, he's, yeah, all of his shorts are available on his website. If you go to Skyhopinka, I think it's like skyhopinka.com or .net or something like that. He's got links to every one of his short films, and they're all worth your time. Um, and, cool. uh, yeah, so definitely, definitely look into Sky. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, a lot of my, all the stuff that I, like, watch, you know, lately is, is, like, it's like 80 year olds like all 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 the american movies i watched are, are made by it's like you think about this year like all the films i watched ridley scott who's in his 80s clint eastwood who's in his 90s paul verhoeven yeah. who's 80 something you know like that's yeah ken jacobs is a great one ken jacobs still making great movies he was a pioneer of experimental cinema um in the 70s and 80s and um made a great film called georgetown loops um and he's still doing it he's still like He's still just like making things up. Uh, like, <laughs> can't believe it sometimes. Like, well, um, you know, yeah. uh, one of the things we've established on this show uh, that we've kind of learned uh, by re-examining a lot of these trauma movies is that uh, Lloyd Kaufman is a fan of extremely lowbrow art, but also a fan of extremely highbrow yeah. art as well. Yeah. And so, like, I think that some of our listeners will actually check these people out. <laughs> I hope so, man. It's you know, you gotta you gotta support interesting people as they appear because everybody yeah. gets swallowed up by Marvel and all this bullshit, and it's just uh, your least interesting movies are going to be made in the American studio system right now. What, is, just, what does right, Lloyd say? Which is the, great, uh, oh, the soulless uh, mega conglomerates. Mega conglomerates. <laughs> yeah, he's not wrong, man. I mean, Lloyd Kaufman has heart. Whatever else which is, is true. Not often that I get like the opportunity to talk to somebody. It's like learned and professional about film criticism is you. So here, I got a, I got another, I got a fun question for you here sure. that popped in my head. So, with the state of current mainstream uh, mass market, uh, for lack of a better term, Hollywood movies, from your perspective, as you call it, a semi-professional film critic, what do you think is both the best and worst thing that they're doing right now and i don't mean like a thing that's both of those but two separate topics what what do you as from your 
personal perspective think is the best thing that they're doing right now and what do you think is the worst thing they're doing right now because i think i think you, this can get you to get on some interesting directions i okay so i mean obviously the worst thing is um uh brand yeah brand management brand loyalty the way that in order to survive companies have to become auteurs and everybody leans right into it Fans do it, directors do it, everybody does it. I remember. I feel so conflicted on this because I'm actually like a huge MCU fan because I'm a huge old school superhero comic book fan. And it's so amazing to me to actually be like finally seeing these characters on screen and also crossing over into their movies, just like in the comic books. <laughs> However, I do also recognize that in terms of how profit motivated, profit motivated uh the studio film system is and it's just how it's all pure capitalism that it's turning into an overall bad thing so i feel so conflicted about both my love for this shit and i know it's like currently right now destroying filmmaking yeah well that's the thing is that you know as 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 little as i want to tell people to not enjoy you know whatever the thing is everybody's taste is what it is and there's no arguing with it because I, you know, these I had to learn all that stuff. The, you know, the, the the things that I wanted to see, I wasn't seeing, and then I was for a minute. And all like everybody's taste is their taste. What has happened, unfortunately, as far as you're talking about profit motive, which is like fucking yeah. Um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and let's sort of lump in, you know, DC or whatever in there too. And frankly, I'm willing to throw in most of the major franchises again. First of all, the fact that we have like completely dumbed down the language of filmmaking as if we're all economy majors looking at the fucking markets every morning as you know as like homework <laughs> is a disgrace. Like that's nobody should be doing this. We shouldn't be talking about content and all this shit and like, you know, fucking phase four and like everything about it is has 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 turned us all into fucking Gordon Gecko or Patrick Bateman or something in the worst way possible. <laughs> but the thing the thing that studios now don't have enough control over, and if they did, they wouldn't exercise any caution with it anyway, is the idea that A, they have uh, uh, accidentally, let's say, let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt, created a huge fan base who is so in love with the fact that they are now, as you're saying, finally getting all of these you know, works of art or whatever, that to criticize them uh, paints a target on their back in a very weird way. I've seen hundreds of people like chased off of the fucking internet, not that it matters, because they have given this or that Marvel movie a negative review. People cannot stomach yeah. criticism for these things because they're too big mm -hmm. to fail. They're everywhere. I mean, that was, you know, when I was a kid, one of the f most important things my dad ever taught me when we were learning about Mussolini was the first step to fascism is an idea you can't criticize. And I'm not saying that everybody has to respect movie critics more than whatever, like whatever. No, no, yeah. we totally get, we totally get what you mean, though. Like, <laughs> exactly. The, the but yeah, that's, you don't, you don't I, need yeah. to justify that. Uh, no, no, I know. I know. My own, you know, neuroses about this stuff. But that's unfortunately become the case, is that on the one hand, you've got a system whereby any given director walks onto the set of a Marvel movie and they are told, all right, well, you direct the dialogue, we'll do the rest of it. So you're not even really directing a movie, you're directing... Yeah, for anyone that's listening that is unaware, the directors don't actually do the action sequences. That's all done in advance. It's all storyboarded. It's all decided in advance. And what the writers and directors are literally hired to do is to connect it together the action set pieces, which are decided upon by uh, the producers in the studio. Yeah. 
And so what you're then doing is you're literally you're, you know, Kevin Feige hands you, you know, knitting needles and says, fix this. And that's yeah. all you're doing. And and, and that's, that's why some Marvel movies are like like noticeably better than others. It's like who has actual talent in being able to work in that sort of system. But that system to me is a problem because it's not cinema. It's not you're not really you're not you, you might as well be doing the little movie that plays before the roller coaster at Disney World. And you, you know, know what? I agree with you totally and I can't help it, but I still love them. I mean, that's fine. That's fine. I, I, I would never tell you to not like the stuff that you like. That's totally fine. I, I just having been brought up socialist, I think it's evil. So I can't help myself. No, but in the end, like, and uh, the other points, I agree with you. It's also evil. It's put me in such a conflicted place I, as like no, I, a film fan. Yeah, I think no, it has tough. like got a lot of like, I don't know. I'm. I'm going to use a wrestling term and say smart fans, like, you know, like people who kind of know, like, who are like, I think it does have like caused a lot of inner conflict because like, yeah, like I like comic books too, you know, and like, yeah, it's cool seeing the Infinity War, like in a movie, like it's crazy. Like it was cool, you know, and then there's that other cynicism that you see the cynicism behind it. And you're like, (laughs) because of all of this insanity and also because of all the internet insanity, we somehow ended up with James Gunn doing Suicide Squad, which was goddamn fucking amazing. I did enjoy that. Uh, just because it was the anti, I felt like it was the anti-superhero movie. Like, it, it felt very different. I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. James Gunn to me, I think he's lost his way. I don't think that he's, I don't, I I don't know. I love James Gunn. I love yeah. James Gunn. I can't join you there, man. I wish I could because, again, it would be cool to think that there was a graduate from the fucking Lloyd Kaufman School of Hucksterism who was in Hollywood making inroads. But I just don't think that he's really that guy anymore. I mean, did you see that very depressing shit that he was talking about? How, you know, people basically f- figured out that the Defense Department has a major say in what goes on in the Marvel Studios. Oh, world. oh yeah. And yeah. Yes, yes. Can you continue with this just in case if anyone listening is unaware? I actually am not mentioned. aware of this. At oh, all. okay. I, um, explain I, this to Lucas. Yes, I am very aware of never, this. Never, never, like. So Which also, the, once again, makes me feel conflicted about. It, I was going to say, this is part of why I think it's evil is. OK, so in Hollywood, it is an unwritten rule that basically if you want like war toys and stuff. And again, we can uh, frankly, we can uh, just so that I don't appear to claim that I don't have blood on my hands. The same thing was true when Roger Corman sent his film crews to the Philippines. The Filipino government, run by a fucking maniac named Ferdinand Marcos, used to lend them military equipment and soldiers and, you know, helicopters and shit and weapons and all that to make exploitation films. Now, that was underhanded and weird and gross, but that was part of the deal in the 70s. There weren't good film productions, right? It's not, you know, whatever. Everybody was, anyway. But that's my, I also like stuff that is extremely problematic for a hundred reasons. But in yes. Hollywood now, we, we all do here. We all do. <laughs> of course, that's that's just that's the name of the game. So in Hollywood now, and this has been this way for as long as I remember, if you want to make whatever you want to make, The Rock or Thirteen Hours or something, you go to the military. They look at your script and they let you do it, and they give you a bunch of fucking fake guns or whatever, or some you know tanks and all that shit. But you got to play ball with them. You can't make them look bad. Otherwise, why would they help you out? Yeah, Marvel got a little further than most studios do, which is that they not only had approval from, you know, them to make Captain Marvel, they were also doing ads for the Air Force using the character of Captain Marvel. And then at that point, to me, you reach a point of no return. Why do we need comic books? Why did we need comic books? Why did we need superheroes? Because we felt unprotected, right? We felt 
like nerds. We felt bullied. We were this, that, and the but other. Specifically, we were... like, like I, I think, like, one of the rude things with uh, superheroes of, like, why they really appeal to a psyche is we feel powerless. And, exactly. And, and here's somebody with all of the power that you could never even have in real life in any uh, realistic way remotely and who's choosing to do listening. the right thing. And that's, and, that's and the, the thing where when you, Kevin Feige and all these people, the, 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 the Marvel powers that be working under Stanley's auspices decides that what the marginalized, the people who loved and respected comic books need is the full might of the United States military. At that point <laughs> you have left behind your position and, as a Marvel. I want to point team. out, as as recently as uh, the Marvel comic storyline Civil War, Mar- this was during the uh, second invasion of Iraq. Sure. Marvel as a company came out against the second exactly. Iraq war yeah, and yeah. how far they've moved. And it's it's like in what was it? it was a, it was um two thousand and five two thousand six was Civil War. I believe it was something like that. The Marvel comics uh, story. And they got every writer and artist to agree for a group company statement that we are against the second invasion of Iraq. Stanley is an old school lefty. I mean, he He grew up, you know, speaking out against discrimination. He's a huge instrument in making the Black Panther character to begin with, which was a revolutionary group in the eyes of the United States government who got to control the narrative of that stuff. And it just strikes me oh, as those, absolutely. Those for the record, the Black Panther character actually predates the organized group. They're completely unrelated. Is that true? Yes, it is. I, you can uh, double check that. me right there. It, it's 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 a uh, just strip. Uh, if I'm recalling correctly, I'm gonna fi- we're gonna find out if I'm re- if everyone listening say, to this because yeah, now I, I'm like second guessing myself. I'm like I don't know, am I getting this completely wrong? So everyone uh, listening to this, we're gonna have a uh, live fact check on the <laughs> uh, they, same year, same year. Oh, same year. Okay, so which I don't believe they are related to each other because no, I think I think history is on your side on this one. No, I thought for sure that the yeah because it was both. I thought the comic character predated the. Uh, the group, so that's interesting to find out that it was actually the same year. I yeah. just though was certain that they were actually unrelated, and it's a crazy coincidence. Well, the thing about it is though, if you're Stan Lee and you there's a group with your name on it or whatever, if you if you if you're Stan Lee and you had a, a superhero named Clan Man, and then you found out about the Clan, you'd cancel that fucking issue because you're Stan yes. Lee because you don't actually. Yes. Oh, them. oh, that's true, and it, they never canceled Black they Panther, and it, Black Panther was even, always used for decades. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all through Huey and Bobby and and the you know the trial of Chicago Seven and all this like. He kept on to it because it was important to him that he continue to provide this particular role model to, again, people who needed it. And then you fast forward to 2018 and the hero of the Black Panther movie is a fucking CIA agent op- operating a drone. Like that to me is like you completely lost your fucking way. And that is the Kevin Feige thing. It's not the Stan Lee thing. Stan Lee was a good person, you know, like, yeah, yeah. he loved money like anybody else, like Lloyd Kaufman. But he knew right from wrong, and they, in making the movies, just got away from that shit, and they don't know right from wrong anymore, and they haven't for a while, and they are now the most impressive cultural and financial property in the world right now. They're making, um, like, I'm sure they're making a fucking Disney park that's all Captain America shit right now, 
And I that's, believe it's, that's it's either already happened or it's been exactly. officially announced. There you go. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And thus you have at the top the greediest people in America who will just suck the marrow out of artists and say, please launder my product with your Oscar winning name, please. And everybody says yes, because they also want money. And that's the thing is that they've turned everything into this bottom line thing. And it didn't. And it's interesting how you brought up about like the artists, the point, because they've been primarily uh, pulling from underground independent, in particular, genre, genre directors. Exactly. Like the guy who made, did you ever see the movie clown, the body horror movie about a guy turning into a clown? He's the guy who directs the new spot. The new Spider-Man movies. He actually, which is I, fucking insane. I worked at a restaurant with the guy who plays the clown. Did you know that? Oh shit! I I did not know. I love. And also, I love clown. Uh, like seriously, clown's, clown's like one of my favorite. Like uh, he made cop art too, which I like. He was not a bad filmmaker. Yeah. You know? no, like, he's a he, great filmmaker. But then they got him in to do this stuff, and that's the problem: is that everybody has to agree that an idea is an idea, and that sucks because what everyone now has agreed is that the top of the heap is Marvel. And what can you actually fucking get done there? All the movies have this hideous, washed-out palette, so yeah, it doesn't what the matter. the fuck is with that? Because he's supposed to be co- – yeah. as a comic book fan, it's actually a thing that bothers me. I was going to say, I would be Because things are supposed to be bright colors. It's supposed to be, yeah. like, ultra-psychedelic is what it's supposed to look like. And honestly, the only movie that really bucked that is the um, – James Gunn's Guardians actually has bright colors in yeah, it. Even, but for some uh, reason, that's the only one. And it's like, like even the, the Doctor Captain Strange America, movie, which like if you read the Doctor Strange so comics, really disappointing in that regard. Oh because God. Scott Derrickson I, is a director with a visual sense. I may I make fun really of that guy night and day, but he's not a bad filmmaker. But yeah. Doctor Strange is so dull to look at. Yeah. I was so disappointed with how it visually looked when this should be like the most insane looking Marvel movie, yeah. period. And it obviously was not. <laughs> it just looked like it just looked like what they look like. And yeah. that, again, so much of the attitude of this company and frankly, they're not alone. I don't want to I don't this is, you know, yes, we're living in a sort of like, you know, entertainment era that is geared towards monoculture because that's all anyone can think about now, because post the financial crisis, Nobody wants to take risks. They'll take risks within the office. We're living in like an internet dystopia. Like yeah, I don't no, it's think like, people realize how bad it's getting. Yeah, no, nobody, nobody can see it because again, if you're enjoying the movies that are coming out, for the most part, you're not really questioning what the fuck is going on to control all this stuff. There's a Mamoru Hosoda anime that's going to come out sometime in the next little while called Bell, and it's about living on the internet, and it's like. It's about basically trying to fucking unplug for a minute to realize that the people that you're interacting with are people. Um, and it's like that's I think about that movie every fucking day now because oh, I can shit, imagine. Yeah, the narrative just gets so crazy every day. It gets crazier. And whether it's the Godzilla movies now, which are all terrible, or the Fast and the Furious movies now. Oh, oh no, I'm terrible. sorry. I will defend uh, Kong versus Godzilla. I know you're not I alone. Fucking, you're not alone. I, get I fucking it. I get loved it. It was but giant. It was dumb. I loved all it. All I will say about that movie is I'm glad I watched it with my kid because. <laughs> <enjoyed it. laughs> Uh, All I want to say is that it's not, again, whatever, like, I'm not, again, it's not a taste thing, it's an economics thing. Right. That movie wasn't directed, that movie was designed in a lab. Yeah. You know, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I get your point on that. And that's the whole thing, is that the major driving force of the American marketplace for the last fucking 30 years has been blockbusters, right? It's Die Hard, 
It's, you, you know, we got Jaws and that puts us on the path, but there's still a good 15 years of oddball mistakes to come afterwards. We still get Michael Mann in that decade. He's not making blockbusters. Yeah. But we also used to get, like, some, like, really great movies as blockbusters. Like, I like to point to what is arguably in... I, I can't I can't actually rank my favorite movies by numbers, but in my top five of all time, I would include Jurassic Park, which which I've seen in in theaters. I'm fortunate enough to live in a city of Portland, Oregon, that has theaters that regularly do revival screenings of old movies. And basically every summer for almost the past 10 years, I've gone to see Jurassic Park on the big screen in the theaters and it holds up every goddamn fucking I, time. I would say even in, in these in the superhero genre, we we would get those oddities like uh, Batman Returns, which I think is amazing. A tremendous film. Amazing. Uh, it's a it's a it's a universal monster movie, but with Batman in it. You know? yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I like that take. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's true. I mean, that movie that that is probably. The best, well, I don't, I, I mean, I am a, a Tim Burton apologist, but like, I, that may be his best work as an image maker. Like, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. Uh, okay, that, so, so you're, you, you, you like Tim Burton. I, I have a, um, I, I have a summary of Tim Burton's career that I want to get your opinion on. Okay. So you have his, I was picked on high school time period, sure. which then leads into, I want to fuck Johnny Depp time period. And that essentially sums up Tim Burton's career, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll grant you that as far as it goes, but I will say that there is an element of uh, John Ford in Tim Burton that nobody talks about. Um, oh. I, I think yeah. that... I can I, I immediately can kind of see what you mean by that. There is, there is a John Ford, an inner John Ford in Tim Burton that he only gets to indulge every now and again. Um, but even something like, okay, like Big Eyes, which I don't think is that successful if you turned the sound off uh it would be one of john ford's like early comedies of manners um he oh, framed it in exactly that way john ford again I'm, I'm in the middle of a huge project where you, like watching all of his movies from start to finish and so you go to the beginning and his earliest surviving feature is from 1917 and he works all the way up to 1976 uh when he dies and his silent comedies have a lot in common with something like big big eyes um and so, I, uh, you know, you see it obviously in Big Fish, right? Which is all Americana. And I exact love same Big Fish. There you go. It's like his quiet man, you know. And then um, Dumbo, honestly, is very John Ford. Um, it's. Uh, I have not seen Dumbo. I I will say that I haven't seen. I that. think it's good. I think it's good. I know a lot. Nobody agrees with me, but I think it's a, a decent I film. I've seen it. I'll um, have to check it out. But the thing is, because, again, it's the gothic sensibility like we're talking about here, where he makes Batman Returns, he makes Sleepy Hollow, he makes Edward Scissorhands, and it's German Expressionism, and it's Hammer Films, and it's Universal yeah. Monsters. But I think that there's more uh, uh, going on there. And, you know, I know, like, you know, a lot of that not, you know, who the fuck cares about Planet of the Apes or Alice in Wonderland? Nobody fucking cares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's, there's Alice in Wonderland was, like, the biggest disappointment yeah, of, like, mainstream. It could have been so good. It, there were, shouldn't. It was such a perfect idea on paper, and there's no reason that it should have turned out so bland and boring. It's shocking. Except for, except for like, I guess the start of the thing that Scout is talking about. Well, there you go. Exactly. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's again, it's the, yeah. it's the drive for a monoculture. It is that it became the fixation of the American cinema. It was is everybody wanted to make the biggest movie of all time. I mean, you can blame James Cameron as much as I love James Cameron. He did have a hand in this stuff and it's fairly nefarious and I do like him a lot and I think that he's great. And I think his heart's in the right place, too. but but he yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, like, especially now, like, him producing Dark Fate, which is one of my favorite new, you know, action movies. Dark Fate um, was great. Oh, <laughs> I haven't, what's this called? I haven't seen this it's one. It's that last Terminator movie they made. It actually oh. is really Oh, fun. really? It was good? I have I, to, Jeff, when, you, when, when, when we're getting off here, you have to send me your email address, because I made a video essay about it I want to send to you. Oh, will do. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, um, I think it's, but yeah, I, think it's, I, I have not, I have not seen it. I had no idea. It was, yeah. actually, you're, you're, you're both saying it's, it's, it's yeah, worth checking out. The hell out it's of really it. Fun yeah. Um, it's, it's, I had, it's, I had some complaints, but like, I have that, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm old now, so I have complaints about everything. Not everything. <laughs> so, well, that's, the problem is Tim Miller is not much of a filmmaker. It's, it's the James Cameron ideas that work and it's James Cameron yes. now is making trans cinema and he's doing an excellent fucking job. That's Alita Battle Angel is one of the most important trans texts of the last five, um, ten years. I, I, I saw that movie and I thought it was decent. Yeah. But again, it's 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 projecting trans ideas and bodies and things to get American audiences on the same page about what is going on with body autonomy right now. That's the project. That's the James Cameron project right now. And I respect that oh, so fucking Yeah, and actually a lot of especially projects he's been involved in in recent years all yeah. kind of fall under that and like Avatar really yeah. falls. I mean, Avatar under Avatar that. is a movie about your body not working the way you want it to, so you yeah. want a new body. Yeah, you I, know? I, I I honestly God, admittedly I haven't spent much time thinking about James Cameron's work. No, say But I mean, um, I, I never thought about his work right like that. But you're definitely I feel correct in that there's there's very much a, a, a undercurrent among all of his recent work. Yeah. Of like the past That's, more than more than a decade. More than a decade, yeah. and he also he gives his money to um uh, companies that make uh prosthetic limbs and things uh for soldiers. Oh, um, I did not know that. That's great. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time very mad at that guy because he was not who I thought he was, but he turned into somebody better, which is, I mean, God bless him. He really, you know, so, so anyway, so that's what, Wait, what so that's what you that's feel the like the worst things. The going worst, on. So worst. what do you feel is the best going on in the mainstream studio system? Uh, it's that there is an embrace of a, 70s styled bastardized auteur theory which is that mm. um it's and it's not the same thing admittedly because in the 70s they didn't know who anybody was right you had to really really yeah. make time for people to know who you know if you're young brian de palma starting out nobody knows who the fuck you are but later you became that thing right by by the time of dress to kill everybody knows brian de palma you know they were making snl sketches about him so now there is an embrace of names Names who make movies that are for adults and, you know, pick them because the beautiful thing about the the, the and like I, I give the company A24 a ton of shit for being absolutely crass in their marketing and their projects that they choose. But they also put the souvenir part two on hundreds of screens across America like that is a sequel to a niche movie about a young woman in film school in England in the late 80s experiencing grief. I haven't even heard of this movie, exactly. nor nor its sequel. No, um, I, mean, I, 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 I will say I have very mixed opinions on A24. I really appreciate what they do. I just have mixed opinions on what they choose to release and how they present it. I completely yeah. agree with you. I mean, like, I, I am furious nine times out of ten with the A24 stuff that yeah. I see, but they also, again, they do. Fucking, they did. Just the idea that I went, so I'm in Cambridge. I went to a theater on the Boston Common right next between Emerson College and Suffolk College. It's a huge fucking theater, two stories tall, bar in the lobby. 
and I saw the souvenir part two. And then when <laughs> it was done, I went across the hallway and I watched the French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Cool. To me is what is good about right now is that yes, the bulk of the shit that takes up all of the sucks, all the air out of the you know scene and all the oxygen is spent on these things. There is still money and time and energy left over for, and admittedly, this is becoming harder and harder to crack. You got to be somebody's kid now to get anywhere in Hollywood. But they picked a couple of people and they chose very wisely. You know, the like the pet auteurs of the American studio system: Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, um, geez, uh, Mike Mills. Come on, come on, is in theaters right now. That's a beautiful fucking movie. Um, it's. You know, it's harder and harder to break through, but when you do, they take care of you and they let mm. you make something like licorice pizza. What's on paper, I'm sure, seemed insane, right? It's the story of a 15 year old. I, I, I have to, I have to be honest, and this is just me being incredibly shallow. I'm really resistant to that movie just because of its title. Totally fine. I get it. I was. <laughs> but it's, it's it, it, though that also though made me think of like that's a bizarre thing in like in marketing. Uh, when I worked with uh. My old publisher, Eraser Press, we put out a book called uh, Putz Junkies. I don't like that. Putz Junkies, which um, is actually the book is literally about people uh, eating pus. And it's by a great author who has a great following. (laughs) Uh, Shane McKenzie is the name of the author. And Bingo Hell, right? uh, uh, Yes, he wrote Bingo Hell. Yep. And uh, Puss Junkies is his worst-selling book. I'm sorry, Shane, to expose this to the world. It's his worst-selling book. And Shane and I had many conversations because we were so, we came up with the idea. We were so excited for the book. And we thought this was his best book. And no one wanted to read it. And it's like, oh, shit, we went too far. And well, <laughs> it like sometimes. Like, and, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I have gone a little bit too far at some points. Um, and... and uh, and the, the, just when I was like trying to sell the book to people, like I would be at conventions and people being like, oh, I love Shane McKenzie. I'm like, you do? OK, well, here's his newest book, Pus Junkies. And they'd be like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. let's look at this other book over here. <laughs> no, and, yeah. Whenever whenever I told people what that book was about, like they would always get this look on their face and they're like, I'm not reading that. <laughs> it's about <laughs> – so, so, Scout, to tell you what it's about, it's about this, like, ultra loser nerd in high school, and then it finds out, it, it turns out that he has, like, he has a severe acne, body acne, sure, sure. and that, uh, and it turns out that the pus from his pimples gets you high, and so he quickly becomes <laughs> the most popular kid in school. So, it's, like, an ultra gross-out teen high school comedy I mean, it's not horror. a bad idea, and I'm sure he it's wrote it well, but, yeah. Oh, it's a great book! It's a fucking great book and it's like oh but nobody wants to read it like we went too far <laughs> so no shane's great. point shane's i great. also think that licorice pizza is a terrible name for and yeah book. that's what i was just bringing up it's just like licorice pizza i'm like i hear licorice pizza and i'm like that's probably how people felt about when they heard pus junkies so i'm like now i understand it i'm in it the other record seat. store it was a record store in la where he grew up. i don't give a shit that's an awful name for anything <laughs> I, I don't want to go anywhere near anything called licorice pizza i agree i think it's bad but he's you know he's an artist <laughs> yeah. what are you gonna do but i what think the thing is do? with with the so a24 is never gonna probably come up on this show again um so everyone's favorite a24 film lucas go is the witch a24 yes it, it is. is it's a great uh, movie yeah i would have to say the witch 
The Witch is great. Go. Favorite yeah. 24 film. Oh, fuck. Uh, He's I've actually probably, probably seen all of them. I've, I've I was going to say, I, that's like, tough, okay. man. Because, um, I mean, I don't know. First Cow, right? I'm sorry, what? First Cow, probably. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that one. First Cow? I'm not familiar with that movie at all. First Cow fucking rules. Um, there, I have to look at I got to find a list, though. I can tell you my least favorite, which is Midsommar. Um, but, uh, oh, well, I, I thought Midsommar... We, we've actually talked about Midsommar on this show already. And as I like to put it, it's a really uh, well-done remake of The Wicker Man. Is it and really gives no credit? It, gives- <laughs> it gives no oh, credit Jeff, to the Wicker Jeff, Man. Remember, remember, Jeff. Remember how you, how 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 uh, people called you a contrarian uh, 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 on yes. that other podcast? God damn it! Yes, is that what you're saying right now, Lucas? Stout has got you beat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, hell yes, yes. No, I'm happy now. I'm happy now. Thank you, Scouts, for coming on. You're welcome. Now you can be worse than me. Yes. Yeah, no, that's that's. Yes. I, I will delight in that. I am absolutely. I actually got shit on another podcast run by friends of ours and over my hot takes, and you might best me. (laughs) I will. The thing, again, is as much as I think that A24's branding and a couple of their decisions are are inexcusable, they also produced, and this is an insane list of things, okay? I, I never said my favorite movie yet. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, I I may I may uh, cause an argument fight here. Tusk. Oh yeah, no, no, it's not for me. But uh, you know, I fucking love it. Tusk. I've actually never seen it, and I like Kevin Smith, it's but I've never fucking, seen Tusk. It's a, it's like one of the like best body horror films in like the past twenty years. I don't know that I can join you on that particular journey. <laughs> I like pulled my headphones out laughing. <laughs> um, but you gotta see it at least I have an opinion on it, Lucas, because okay, Tusk is very much one of those movies that you either hate it or you love it, and there's like n- like no in between. There's absolutely gonna be no in between. Yeah. 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 Um, and I mean, Scott and I fair. fall into the two extremes <laughs> apparently. Yes. <laughs> a sci-fi movie called High Life by Claire Denis that is incredible. Oh, I've been uh, meaning to watch it. I hear nothing but great things about it. Movie fucking rules. Um, they produced First Performed, Paul Schrader film, one of his best. Um, Lean on Pete, incredible movie. Uh, Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig, quite good. Um, uh, the uh, the Safdie Brothers movies, Good Time and Uncut Gems, both incredible. Oh, Uncut Gems is fucking amazing. So good. Un- Uncut Gems was... Uh, like once again, we're never gonna have an opportunity to probably talk about uncut gems on this show. But that was like a fucking panic attack put on film. Yeah, hell yeah. Like, and that's that movie that blew bet, my I mind bet, how good that was. I bet Lloyd Kaufman's a fan, don't you? Um, actually, oh. Lloyd Kaufman has specifically shouted out uncut gems multiple times on Twitter right. and Facebook. Uh, I believe it's it. it's, an, it's an incredible movie about like modern amazing. Judaism, and I know that Lloyd is. Yeah, uh, yeah there you go. Uh, it's, it's a thing he really cares about, and it also really spots light, spotlights New York City. Yeah, and oh yeah. that's it, it, it's it's in many ways like while it has absolutely nothing to do with trauma. There's a lot of those things that, like if you're a trauma fan on almost a subliminal level, there's a lot of things that really cross over with Uncut Gems. Well, I was gonna say, I mean, you know, we were talking earlier about and it's it's so not. I, I won't spoil the ending, but it's so nihilistic. It's so. It's amazing. Downbeat. Oh, 
I bet I bet any anyone who's a fan of street trash will love Uncut Gems if you have not seen it. I'm All just right. throwing that out there. I, I I will I will totally agree with that. Yeah, there's actually I, I, I've a weird amount of comments. Now I need to see it. It's so good, dude. It's, it's so good. Um yeah, uh, AT4 also produced Zola, which I enjoyed. Maybe 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 oh, a I, hair. I, I like I I liked it. I saw it and I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. There's a lot to love about it. Um and again, Souvenir, Souvenir Part 2, Come On, Come On, the new Mike Mills film, incredible. Um, the Witch, I liked. Um, I, really, I liked it as, a lot as well. I like a movie that nobody else likes called Mojave by William Monaghan with uh, Oscar Isaac and Garrett Hedlund. Um, I haven't even heard uh, of that one. No, nah, nobody has. Nobody saw it. It's, it's <laughs> you know, nobody. It was, um, uh, there's a filmmaker that I love named Rupert Wyatt, and he made Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, oh, okay. And then he made a great movie in 2008 called The Escapist, and he made a movie uh, uh, called um, Captive State two years ago. But he was he remade the James Caan film The Gambler in 2014 with Mark Wahlberg. At the same time, William Monaghan was like across the hill making Mojave with a bunch of the same cast. So these two movies are like a perfect weird L.A. double feature. Um huh. Yeah, incredible. St- I'm saying LA, California, Southern California. It's just like the hilly part of California. It's like, it's it, they're they're shooting in what I like in my in my fantasies is like where Roger Corman used to make you know, uh, 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 <laughs> it conquered the world and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, so I I love that stuff. But anyway, so that's cool with streaming and with the you know the 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 number of distributors who are run by people who seem to at least be interested in where cinema is going. There is now a, a broader swath of cool shit to see every year but it's all you know it's again all half the movies that i brought up in the last little while you guys hadn't heard of them because they didn't do yeah. any fucking work they get very yeah, yeah. yeah like there was a lot of movies you mentioned that yeah, all I mean, very new that i i've literally never heard of like, exactly and that's the downside is that yeah, yeah if you have the time and the energy to go find these fucking things and sign up for 17 streaming services which, you can see the best shit that you're going to see all year which before I had kids, like that was the thing. But now it's like, I, it's like you have to like, like how do, like how do movies like this dude? I don't have kids. Guy, and I which, still unfortunately, hurt. that's what I am right now. Like exactly. you know, I'm I'm that guy who lives in the suburbs and has children, yeah. and so it's like, but I still want to see stuff like this. I don't exactly. just want to see Marvel movies. So it's like you know, no. like got to market this shit to me. <laughs> no, you do. You really have to get it to people. I mean, it's uh, that was the thing is I thought the pandemic was going to level this playing field a little bit where they were going to actually release shit in a way that people could see that. And very callously, I have to say, <laughs> HBO Max getting the fucking deal from Warner Brothers to release all those movies, that was a Hail Mary because those movies were going to fucking sink at the box yeah. office. Every yeah. fucking one yeah. of these things was going to do terrible fucking business. It wasn't that they were like, oh, here's some movies. We're being nice. It's... Uh, we don't know what the fuck to do with these things. These things are going to fucking tank so hard. Please put them on the app so people are talking about them. And it worked. Yeah. And that's – people need to do that, but they need to do it in a way where it's like they actually give a shit and not in a way where they needed to protect their bottom line at all costs. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so Lucas, do you have any questions for uh, Scout? Because I feel like I've – I feel Let's like we uh, my list of what I have for the opportunity to actually talk to someone like this knowledgeable. Yeah, so uh, we're at we're at two hours. Uh, and that doesn't I, matter with this show. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but no, I don't. I don't really what, have anything. You know, I mean, I, no, I got one last one. I think I got sure. one last one. What's your opinions on Alexandro Hodorowsky? Um, 
Holy Mountain, El Topo. No, no, no. I mean, he's uh, he's obviously something of a you know genius when it comes to visuals. I I I the weirdness of him con- con- trying to tell people that he like raped that woman on the set of El Topo is weird. I, I yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I don't like that. I, like, that was unfortunate. <laughs> I I, I want to address that because it's also like. I'm I'm like an Alexandro Hodorowsky super fan. I think and, he's really smart and talented. And unfortunately, I know I exactly what you're talking about and that interview he gave. And I feel it's like necessary to point out that like he's a shock artist, and neither yeah. the actress nor anybody on the cast or crew says that that the, actually like, happened. happening. Right. And I, also. I, I recently, um, just a couple months ago, I saw El Topo Topo on the big screen again. So, like, the movie's fresh in my head. The quote-unquote rape scene in the movie is actually not depicted on screen. You see the beginning of it, and then you see after it's over. It is a really weird interview, man. Like, because I... I, I But that's how Wolowski is. He says these really weird fucking shocking things and he comes from like old school kind of like yeah. the same round of like the first like like the first wave of like punk rock and yeah, yeah. Same things he get the, rise the kind out of people Goodwill energy and i get it certainly yeah it's, yeah it, 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 it hasn't aged like well it really has not no, aged it, well it, it makes you all. uncomfortable because there's this weird and enthusiasm in yeah, the interviewer is like i did it for real like yeah, you're just like oh ooh, yeah that's say ooh. that <laughs> yeah that's fucked up but having said that i don't think there's a movie of his i don't like i like the rainbow thief a lot um i like tusk uh i think his latest work is incredible uh poesia sin fin and uh um the one from uh what is it uh, uh, something reality um Oh, uh, 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 dance reality. Yeah, dance reality. Yeah, dance reality. Yeah, I knew I it was the. Yeah, I think he's great. I think he is a very, very talented filmmaker. I just need him to walk that quote back so I can talk about him because um, I don't. He, he actually talk. has walked that quote back. Has he? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. He has an in interviews. He's directly addressed that, and he said exactly what I said of like, it's yeah, true. that's how I talked then because I was a shock artist and it was a, it was. 50 years ago and yeah. things were different and that's how I got attention. No, admittedly, admittedly that that's true. I mean, every, every major male star would, at the time would give interviews where he's like, uh, you know, like, well, you got to knock a woman around a little bit before you, yeah. you know, like just like completely I, acceptable sexism all the fucking time. And it was just normal, you know, like I get it, I get it, I get it. But it's, and whenever this yeah. gets brought up with Hodorowsky, what I always just like to point to is just that literally no one that's ever worked on a movie with Hodorowsky, including El Topo, which the scene in question is from, has anything negative to say about uh, working with him. He's apparently a really fantastic director to work with. And it's essentially him creating his own uh, mythos. And it seems very much in line of like what was going on and what would become like the uh, early punk rock scene at the at the time. Yeah, um, I mean, I just, yeah, I'm I, just curious because like like you're somebody that's really knowledgeable about film and in terms of like art film directors, Hodorowsky, I am like a super fan of. I uh, went to see a double feature here in Portland uh, right when theaters opened back up, which was like really amazing was to see a double feature on the big screen of El Topo and the Holy Mountain. Sure. And it was also a really interesting experience because the uh, 
crowd that was with me was so I'm in my uh, late 30s and the crowd that was there, I'd say, were uh, in their late teens, early 20s. And okay. somebody else pointed out to me later, it's like they're actually probably all students. They're probably a lot of them in the crowd were probably college students and they're probably able to get like credit. And like that all lines up. I'm like, oh, that all makes sense. <laughs> I was really surprised at like how young people were. And almost no one in the crowd had seen uh, uh, El Topo or Holy Mountain before because the person that put on the screening came out, gave introductions to both films, and asked, like, show of hands, who has seen these movies before. And I was shocked at the vast, vast majority of the crowd had never seen these movies before. And so it was well, the first time. Be, that's more and more, that's what it's going to be, is yeah. a lot of this stuff just is not going to have the, the audience that it did even 20 years ago, you know? It can. It can be great though, man. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, like, I'm friends with a few people who are younger than me, and I'll show people stuff. There you go. That's the fun. And it's great. It's great. I was talking to people after the uh, the screens because there's also like an intermission in between the two movies, and people really enjoyed it. But what I thought was most fascinating is maybe I'm very, very jaded, and like my perspective (laughs) is very skewed. But everyone talks about with El Topo as we just already went through the rape scene. The right. rape scene in the theater amongst people that were um, uh, late teenagers, early 20s, actually got no reaction. Like, right. like it, just didn't, it just didn't get anything at all. Yeah. The violence in the movies got gasped. And I could see people reacting to it. And I don't consider those movies to be violent movies. But apparently it was something about how it is presented and how it is done that still to this day really uh, affects people who are seeing the movie for the first time. And I can't put my place I, – I can't put myself back in that place of seeing those movies for the first time because it was – Oh my god, almost 20 years ago. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I don't remember exactly how I reacted. And I was so surprised to seeing people seeing these movies for the first time reacting so strong to the violence in them. Well, I mean, again, you know, the, the stuff that we would have seen would have prepared us for it. By the time yeah. that you and I and Lucas saw that movie, we'd seen Taxi Driver, you know? Like right. it was. We, we, that is true. That is true. You know, you 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 wean yourself off of the, your 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 capacity no, for astonishment. No, I am also really fucking skewed because my parents were really big horror fans yeah, same. and really my big like extreme cinema fans. And I was actually actively discouraged as a kid from watching children's stuff. So like, I wasn't raised with right. Uh, cartoon shows. I was raised with like things from another world and God's old Godzilla cool. movies, and like yeah, that's yeah. what my parents like. Like, you don't watch those cartoons. Watch these old, old fifties horror movies. Yeah. yeah, and that's you know that's that's it changes with every generation. The stuff that people are growing up with now. I mean, I shudder to think what it's like growing up with a phone in your hand. You know, I got the end of it because when I was. 15, 16, I got my first cell phone, maybe even younger than that. And that, you know, we didn't really have the internet or any of that stuff. So it didn't quite, but now when you've got access to everything at your fingertips at all times, that must be insane. You know, you're 14 or 15 and you can, you know, that must, that just must be crazy. But also it means that you prioritize much more heavily. Why would you go out of your way to watch something if you're not sure that you're going to like it at this point? Because you can like preview it or whatever, you know, it's, yeah. I just think that everybody's sensibility changes and the stuff that people are interested in has changed. Like I, 
you know, I was talking about um, the short film work of Hania Angus, who is mm-hmm. um, e- easily 10 years younger than me. And it's been interesting to see, you know, people of her generation discovering things for the first time. And a lot of the stuff still plays. And some of it doesn't like there's a there's a I have a, I have a Twitter mutual who's in her early 20s who just discovered Videodrome and loved oh, it. Man. Oh, you know? yeah. and that's, oh, that's, wow. That's, that's, I'd be so curious curious to, to hear see. a young person's take on video because Videodrome is literally um when asked about my three favorite movies of uh like uh, my three favorite horror movies um not, not what i think are the best my personal three favorite are hellraiser night of the living dead the original of course and mm-hmm. Videodrome. Yeah. And I'd be so curious to hear a young person's insight on Videodrome now. It's it, that's the kind of that's the you know the social media is a you know disgrace in a number of ways, but it is kind of cool. And Videodrome predicted it. It predicted yeah, sure. it fucking it forty years ago, almost forty years ago. Yeah. Oh man. It's uh yeah, but that's the thing is that you get to you get to hear those perspectives and it's and it's always exciting to seek that stuff out. You know. Like so, whether, so what did they have to say about Videodrome? Just loved it that it hit really well. I mean, you know, again, really? talk, yeah, absolutely. They immediately changed their profile picture to Debbie Harry. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah, beautiful. it's amazing. It's just so cool to think that that stuff is still it has legs. You know, it's still going to have a, an audience all these years later. I just think that that it's uh, it's a little miracle. It's wonderful. You know, that the you know, I, and it's funny. You know, when and I'm a kid or a teenager or college age or whatever, and I'm watching these things, I think that they're wonderful. But you never know what everyone else thinks, and you get older, right. and you know that your tribe likes it. You know, the horror crowd loves it, but it's not a given that that stuff is going to travel. And it's really always yeah. very cool and very encouraging to see that it does. Um, but uh, I was going to say the other the 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 stuff that I make, the fiction that I make, is all of course like adduced from the 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 old genre that I love so much. Whether it's like you know Czech New Wave medieval fantasies or Dawn of the Dead, which is probably <laughs> my favorite film. You know, like yeah. oh Dawn of the Dead's wonderful. Fucking, that's amazing. It's like I made a zombie film in Doylestown. You know, like I love that stuff. It's just, it's that's uh, that's, the last that's the other artist I should. Show. Last special blood show. I, yeah, yeah, that's that movie has a very special place in my heart. That's the uh, other the, uh, the other low fact, I'm banned from the Monroeville Mall for shoplifting. You did it. You did it right. You did the punk rock thing. Um, and fun fact, I was shoplifting a DVD of Dawn of the Dead. I am not joking at all. That's special. That's, that's, fucking, that's the way to do it, man. Fuck visiting. Get kicked out. <laughs> that's what happened to me. They took my picture and all and banned from the mall. That's oh, awesome. That's now, admittedly, that was like 20 years ago. So, like, I I, I, I think I can probably still I shop say, one there. Visit, probably plenty. They don't have the fucking Brown Derby anymore, so that's not even like you can No, no, but you can go – Um, at least when I was still there, you can go up and down the escalators uh, sure. from the mm-hmm. escalator scene. That, that's still, that was still there. And also their hideout – um, that around the corner area is actually all shops now. Or uh, like I said, it was shops 20 years ago. I haven't been to that mall in 20 years. Yeah. And but yeah, I've been to actually that mall a lot of times. So and now and last time I was there, I got banned from it. There you go. Special. All right, we should probably find a way to. Uh, I was gonna <laughs> say I have to pee so badly, so let's wrap it up. Oh, dude, I was peeing yes. in bottles like while you guys were talking about Black Panther. <laughs> I have been fine. For everyone listening, there's been no urinary issues with me. <laughs> All right, but this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Scout, for coming and talking with us about about low-budget independent art, about trauma. This has been a 
absolute wonderful conversation. And I feel for this week, all of our plugs, all of our should be for uh, Scouts stuff. And yes. so you have the Unloved YouTube I have channel, the unloved, uh, which I'm so. Yeah. So what's the name of the channel? Uh, if you find me on on uh, on Vimeo, I'm there. You can you can um, I'm on Vimeo, but also if you just go to RogerEbert.com, you'll find my videos there. There's gonna be okay. Yeah, every the first of the month or or whatever the first Monday of the month, let's say. Um, in in, in any other case, um, Cinemophagy is in stores now. You can find me at Patreon.com/slash/HonorZombie. All of my thirty fucking feature films are on Vimeo or Vimeo on demand. Um, I got a couple of horror films, Eam, The Last Flesh and Blood Show, Diana. I have a film about reincarnation called Zone of Sale. Um, I haven't seen that last one. It's uh, it's nuts. It's two hours of uh, people walking across a bridge because the bridge is a person uh, being reincarnated <laughs> across 100 years to learn a lesson. Oh, so uh, like Danny the Street and Grant Morrison's the, um, Doom Patrol? That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, I have a I have a film that I like uh, called uh, Concerned Space Wives, which is about a day in the life of your average film critic. So if you want to see how depressing that is, give it give it a watch. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, what's the name of that again? Because I that sounds great. What's the name of that? Concerned Space Wives. It's basically Concerned like, Space Wives. Yeah, I'm a big Chantal Ackerman fan. She's like my she's my my patron saint. Um, and that's one of my many tributes to Chantal is uh, her apartment movies. And that's my my version of, of a Chantal Ackerman apartment movie. I have a vampire movie called The Sunless Remembered. That's my like New York no wave film, kind of like Liquid Sky or whatever. Um, I haven't seen that one either. God damn it. I got to catch up on your movies. I, I mean, you're busy, man. You're raising kids. I can't just be sending you three hour fucking movies every day. Um, yeah, yeah, buy, buy, buy the movies, watch the movies, let me know what you think, I'm very easy to find, um, uh, somebody, I was gonna, you know, t I was gonna say, have a conversation with me, you can review them, obviously, and I'll read them, whatever it is, like, that's, I, I, I I'm the, the one director whose movies are for critics, uh, <laughs> and not just for the fans, uh, cause I don't have any, so it's easy, <laughs> um, but yeah, if you ever write anything about my stuff, uh, send it to me. I want to read it. Unless it's this one guy who wrote me a really shitty review for Ian, and I had to I had to yell at him because he got a lot of shit wrong. But other than that, oh, don't respond to bad reviews. That's why I always I, tell. He accused me of being a pedophile, so I had to say something. Yeah, That's, those are fighting words. All yeah. right. Yeah, but in general, I want to read what you have to say because I made it for you know digestion. I'm I'm excited. I got I've gotten like a couple of like middling reviews from very smart people, and they've been fun to read. You know, I like it when first-rate minds attack this stuff. It's it's cool, man. It's a privilege. You know, criticism is my art form as much as filmmaking is, and I like it when the best you know minds in that art form get to have a look at what I'm doing here. You know, I don't anticipate that everybody's going to respond to it in exactly the same way, and that's fine with me. You know, that's like I. I've given a lot of shitty reviews in my day to a lot of things, and some people respond well to it and some don't. I met Josh Lobo because I gave – I trapped the devil a kind of a middling review, and he was really cool about it, and we've been friends ever since. And frankly, I think that movie's a lot better than I first reviewed it. Okay. For the very final ending thing, this should be yeah. our last note. So uh, after uh, Scout gives the answer to this, we should cut off the episode, Lucas. All right. <laughs> is of all the movies you've been – forced to review what was the worst i asked for sonic the hedgehog <laughs> i wasn't forced 
That's <laughs> that is, I feel, the perfect ending. Yeah. Thank you 